tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Francis is a man after my own heart. Uh, wine is a gift from God. Fair play to you, Francis. Um, uh, good morning to you, and you're welcome along to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call, and Leanne is producing it today. Coming up on the show, a recruitment drive for altar servers in Tipperary. Why your political leanings might determine if you're accused of racism. Now, the hospital overcrowding crisis deepens. Muriel Cuddy in our health slot will discuss intolerance issues. And Nina, woman in her 70s, she's undertaking a sky, uh, skydive even for Gaza. Is veganism just a fad? We have a taste of this week's Down Your Way. And we have farming news with uh, Katrina as well. So all of that and much, much more on the way. A quick look at uh, the uh, papers. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, their main story today, report into RTE's ill-fated toy show, the musical, which made losses of over €2 million, Euro, has found that there was no green light given by the RTE board for the adventure, and uh, that report will be published this morning and if it comes out uh, before the programme ends, we will bring you some of the detail of that. The Irish Times, again, that uh, story of uh, Toy Show the Musical on the front page of the Times. They're also telling us that Ireland should support Ukrainians to return to their war-torn country by rebuilding infrastructure and possibly paying for travel back there. That's according to Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman. With the Temporary Protection Directive, which, as you know, allows Ukrainians to work and live in the European Union due to expire in March of next year, the Green Party TD said there is a fundamental question for all EU member states that must be addressed urgently. The Irish Independent it's dominated by a picture of the broadcaster Brian Dobson who has announced that he will retire from RTE uh, this April after 37 years indeed with the broadcaster. Also on the front of the Indo today the story that two doctors have been arrested by fraud squad detectives uh, over an alleged conspiracy involving the over claiming of more than €300,000 from the HSE and finally let's have a look at uh, the Irish Examiner and their lead story is that politicians will need to show courage and leadership to oversee effective uh, decriminalisation in uh, the biggest shake-up of Ireland's drug laws in the history of uh, the state and uh, also communities and this is a very interesting story in light of what's been happening in Ross Grey. But uh, communities that have taken in a significant number of Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers are set to receive up to €500,000 for the refurbishment of buildings, development of parks and playgrounds, etc. So that's a look at what's making some of the headlines today. If you want to make comment on any of that, uh, 083 311 Now, there was a rather interesting exchange in the Doyle yesterday between Independent to D. Marion Harkin and the Taoiseach Leo Vradkar about refugees and accusations that people who raise fears or trepidation about groups of men coming into the country are accused of just being racist. It was very interesting and I would love 
your opinion on it. Uh, let me play uh, some of it for you. Today I just want to raise one issue with you. The national conversation, and it's a difficult one, but it's the national conversation around single men who are seeking asylum and the specific situation whereby some communities have said they will welcome and integrate families but not groups of single men. Now the knee-jerk reaction is this is unacceptable, it's racist, these are far-right tropes. But I'm asking for a little bit of reflection and to cast your mind back just two years ago when thousands of visceral statements from so many Irish women followed the horrific murder of Ashling Murphy. And I still remember some of the comments from Minister Anne Rabbit who said in this house, she said, not all men but all women grow up knowing they are not safe. Not all men, but all women know the feeling that creeps up your back when you hear steps behind you and you have to check. And she told us, by simply existing, women's lives are at risk from men they know and men they do not know. So Taoiseach, we believed women two years ago when they made these statements about Irishmen. So I'm asking you, why do we not at least entertain those statements from women now when they say that the idea of 30, 40, 50, whatever, single asylum seekers arriving in their town or village, living three or four to a room, no family connections, nothing to do most of the time. Why do we not take on those concerns as genuine? I, 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 I have to say, I have to be honest with you, I, I, I am quite disappointed uh, in the question you asked. Uh, and I can see the faces of many people around this house um, who I think agree with me. I think the killing and the death of Ashing Murphy was one of those events that really touched the nation. Uh, I remember it so well. And I remember the outpouring of grief for that young woman uh, who was killed uh, in the way she was. Uh, and I remember the anniversary uh, only a few weeks ago. Um, and I really think to connect that to a debate about international protection and migration is really wrong. Uh, really wrong. Um, uh, the evil person who killed poor Ashling Murphy uh, was an EU citizen, had been in the country for the best part of 10 years, working and paying taxes. That's how he acquired his rights to social welfare and other things. Uh, and sadly, he turned on that girl for whatever reason he did and killed her. But to connect that to international protection and refugees coming to this country, whether they're genuine or not, it's really wrong, Deputy. Like, really, Deputy, don't bring our country down into that spiral. Please don't. Uh, opposing views there from uh, Marion Harkin and, indeed, uh, Leo Varadkar, but it certainly plays in as well to the under-reporting of the victim uh, impact statement by uh, Ryan Casey, who's Ashley Murphy's uh, uh, boyfriend, because he did question how can somebody come to this country get social housing, social welfare, not hold down a job of any description, never contribute to society for uh, 10 years. Now, that was very much underreported, and uh, that was part of his uh, statements. So I'm wondering, what, what do you make of what you heard there? I'd love to hear from you. 83 Now, the president of the Irish Association for Emergency Medicine has warned that there is a massive capacity issue in hospitals with the emergency department at Cork University Hospital this morning running at over 300% capacity. Yep, 
300% capacity. Now yesterday figures from the Irish Nurses and Midwives organisation showed that 654 people were waiting for a bed around the country. Do I have to tell you that the worst impacted hospitals were again University Hospital Limerick with 110 patients waiting and Cork University Hospital with 88. Now Conor Reedy from the Midwest uh, Hospital Action Group and Nina needs its A&E group and the regular contributors of the programme joins me now. Good morning to you Conor. Hello Fran, how are you today? It seems that it's kind of Groundhog Day. Um, no resolution whatsoever to this problem that I can see anyway, uh, Connor. W- w- what are your thoughts when you hear those figures yet again? Well, here we go again. Same, you know what, different year, isn't it really? Uh, but first of all, it, it continues to shine a spotlight on UHL because once again, UHL is always the worst performing, far and away the worst performing, it, either in a time of crisis like we are now with the rise in respiratory illnesses post New Year, um, and it's also the worst performing at times of non-crisis. Now, I know we wake up this morning to the news that uh, the Cork Hospital system is in a bit of trouble right now. Mm. Um, but with UHL, it is entirely predictable because it seems for whatever reason, we hear about these winter surges, we know they come, we know it's the nature of um, sort of medicine and the patterns of health and well-being in this country that we seem to have the rise in these winter viruses and that is what it is. So why do we never seem better prepared than we are? Okay. Now, right now, uh, as we understand it in the campaign, I mean, it's not a secret, they are utilising Croom Hospital and they have been utilising Croom Hospital for a while as Mm. an overspill for uh, people at UHL and getting them out there into standby, stand, stand down beds or what have you. Now, problem with that, Fran, is ev- anyone around the Midwest knows what the word croom means. Croom means one thing. It means bones. Yes. Okay. And so if they're putting people out into croom hospital, which is, by the way, there are people uh, across North Tip listening to me this morning, including from my own late mother who benefited greatly from Croom Hospital from knee operations and hip operations and everything else. Um, But if Croom is being utilised like that, then something must be giving out there. Some waiting list must be be put on pause out there. Elective surgeries are being put on pause. I I see the South Infirmary in, in Cork as well as being used. Um, to deal with some of the... And again, elective surgeries, they're being put on hold, Connor. So, But this this all has... This, this is all... This, and I said this probably this time last year to you as well, Fran. This, this stuff, this activity being put on pause, that's affecting lives as well. Mm, yeah. That's prolonging someone's condition that where they need something operated on, whether it's a limb or some other part of them. And... That's all being paused. That's all prolonging pain for somebody or letting a problem worsen um, while the system grapples with a a now 15-year problem that it has singularly failed to address over all of this time. Um, So it's... 
it's unfortunately entirely predictable. The scary one for me is where they're advising people that, look, unless your illness is particularly uh, serious, don't don't come near us. Like, find, find some other way of getting help. But I mean, yeah. how, how do you adjudicate whether that pain in your chest is indigestion or, or heart failure? You know, I mean, there this you is go. ludicrous, well, I mean, isn't it? it? It's just, and, and I think the most ludicrous aspect of it is it's always the final line. Consult your, G, your GP, which is fine. That's not the ludicrous part. The ludicrous part is, or your pharmacist. I mean, pharmacists we know are the backbone, uh, part of the backbone, really, mm. of of our country in yeah. terms of all our health and well-being. But this notion of, well, I was thinking of going to ED, but I'll go to the pharmacist instead. That's mm. quite a leap. Mm. And uh, UHL have been kind of suggesting this every year when they're every not every year because it's several times a year they're telling people asking people to stay away um so it is people as you say quite rightly Fran are not qualified to make their own decisions on this sometimes and none of us are um around here <coughs> we hear in North Tip we would hear many stories of and especially at this time of the year in the Midwest Hospital campaign, uh, stories come into us. People tell their stories all the time privately. And we would hear many stories again of people begging not to be taken to Limerick, mm-hmm. um, people going up the country to Port Leash and uh, elsewhere into Tullamore or um, Balnasloe. So we. <laughs> what frustra- what's frustrating is, you know, we. So, so many of us feel we know a better way. We know the answer. We all know the heart, the core of the problem as it stands at this point in time. And we know where probably where the solution lies. But we see no urgency in addressing that. We see no nothing. We see Bernard Gloucester now is going to be in, in April or I think it's around April or May. He's going to be nearly a year in post as the new CEO of the HSE. Um, and despite it promising early signs, we see nothing there in terms of new thinking, new ideas, um, creativity. It's just all more of the same. But Connor, and, do, are, are they in some sort of a tacit way agreeing with your organisation when you see them using Croom and you see them <coughs> using the South Infirmary Hospital? They need the other hospitals, but we have them by way of St. John's and Nina. Um, so are they not answering their own question yeah, in a lot it, of ways? It, it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because isn't it? They're, they're, they're sending people to Croom it's almost like they'll they'll do anything but the thing that they've been asked to do for years and that that's been suggested uh by mm. by the campaign by commentators by us getting 11,000 people on the streets uh they'll 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 do anything but that one thing that we all know would unplug the problems so effectively um and it's it's, it's like this obstreperous Attitude, and yet they take, they start to take space in Croom, which is a dedicated specialist orthopedic hospital, um, a legend in its own lifetime, and uh, they have to be now by doing what they're doing. They have to be compromising uh, 
care out there and they have to be compromising patient and, lists and, out and there that's, by that's doing a very, doing. That's a very, and I wouldn't expect anything less from you. That's a very gentle way of putting it, Connor. but really what we're saying here <laughs> is that potentially people are dying because of this and that really is it, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. you know, because because the, the, there's all sorts of... Uh, for, first of all, Fran, there was, there was a, a case went out and it went out on a Limerick radio station and we highlighted it um, that was before or after Christmas, but um, where a and it involved Croom, where and this this became a well publicised story at the time, where a father went public on a Limerick radio station because his daughter, and we didn't have names on this, who had been at UHL for since November, I think it was, with seizures. Uh, as they came closer to Christmas. They were looking to get people into any corner of the Midwest that they could, so to avoid the the, the ED crisis, the UHL, they sent this young woman out to Croom, and she was a seizure patient. And they sent her out to Croom, and I think in the ambulance on the way out, she had a seizure, or was it when she just got to Croom, she had a seizure. And she was after spending a long time in a ward in UHL, but they needed to get her off-site in order to keep her bed, get her bed in UHL. Now, they sent a seizure patient to Croom. That same day, Fran, she had to be brought back in at 10 o'clock that night by ambulance back to UHL, back to a trolley. Now, that's messing around at the highest level. It is absolutely ridiculous. And these decisions are being made, and that, that... in anyone's language, is dangerous. Okay, now, there are many cases we don't know about. That's one that came to light. Yeah, of course. And, Connor, I don't have as much time as I would like this morning for this, but we will certainly continue on uh, this this conversation for sure. And we always appreciate your time, Connor. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us. Connor Reedy there, Dr. Connor Reedy indeed, from the Midwest uh, Hospital Action Group. Now, there's currently a recruitment drive for altar servers in churches right across uh, the county. The number of young people taking part in what was once very common service, God knows I was an altar boy myself, uh, has been dropping off for a few years. Father Michael Toomey, a great friend to the show, parish priest, uh, administrator in the parishes of Ardfin and uh, Newcastle, Four Mile Water, joins me now. Father Michael, good morning to you. Yeah, I don't want my name going... Oh, okay. Well, we don't have uh, Father Michael at uh, the moment. Uh, Let me just uh, take a break. We'll be right back. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie As I was saying to you before the break, currently a recruitment drive for altar servers in churches right across the county. And Father Michael Toomey is with me now. Good morning to you, Father Michael. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Sorry I'm very... about that little delay. No, not, not at all. And great, to, great to talk to you as always. Um, will you tell me about this? Because, I mean, did COVID play a part in us not having the altar servers that we used to have? I think so. So from when I left Clomel, I was, I was obviously during the COVID time. And when I left uh, Peter and Paul's church, we had a huge number of altar servers there across the school. But when as soon as I got back into my own parish, once it was safe to do so, we then recruited new altar servers again. 
and we do so in the backdrop of having a very stringent safeguarding policy. So I need to say that mm-hmm. uh, from the start. So it's, I have a safeguarding team which comprises of teachers and parents and other volunteers who are all Garda vested who assist me. And basically what we do is, as I'm doing at the moment, uh, where I am, because obviously with the seven churches, I have a number of altar servers in different churches. In one church, for example, I think I have nearly 30 altar servers. Uh, and other churches, it's one or two. So it's kind of difficult in different areas. But we try and just go around to the schools from third to sixth class at different times and invite the children, if they'd like to help, uh, to be an altar server. And we start by saying, you know, how does an altar server help a priest and what do they do? And they come up with all the right answers and that. So we invite the children through their parents if they wish to, and obviously the parents need to be happy for them to do it, and we fill out the necessary forms and safeguarding forms and that. And then what we do is we do a little training session for a couple of weeks through the school or even after school in some places with the parents and the safeguarding teams there. And we just go through the practicality of what it is to be an altar server and and what they do and the little jobs and that. And the great thing for young people is it firstly gives them new skills. It gives them skills of teamwork. It gives them skills of doing something in public. It gives them many confidence skills. I've seen a lot of kind of shy young people Mm. then come out of their shell, you know, and more and more confident in that. And obviously every parish is different the way they recruit and, and, you know, um, utilise the altar service. That's how we do it here. And it is a, it's a yeah. very important ministry. And I, I suppose what's different now, as, as I was saying before the break, I, I have very happy memories indeed of altar serving myself when I was a kid yeah. in, in, in Cashel. But it's very different now in that maybe some of the young people who want to get involved as an altar server, maybe their parents aren't frequent mass goers. How, how, does, that, how well. does that work, Father Michael? It is a challenge. And obviously with, with the altar service, we, we ask, and the, the parents obviously have to bring their child because they're under 18 and that to the to to the church and that. But I found it more beneficial because as uh, some parents said to me, I don't normally go to Mass, but at least I'm going now mm. because their son or daughter is bringing them oh, that's, to Mass. that's interesting, yeah. yeah. So that's been a good positive thing. I mean, in fairness, I'm, uh, the great teams are, the, the, the parents have a pivotal role. You know, they're very much involved in the training, being there, you know, um, seeing their child on the altar is obviously a wonderful, you know, thing for them to do as well and, and to see the pride of it and see their skills develop. And as they grow older, like, obviously, there's usually a big drop-off from sixth class, you know, once they leave and go to secondary school. But I, I have a couple of servers who are in second, even third year in secondary school, who still serve. And what we do, is they do kind of bigger jobs. Like, mm. they actually set up the altar table, which can be done by what we call a master of ceremonies. You know, they'd arrange, you know, the altar service. They'd kind of work out who's doing what job, because there's always different jobs to be done. Some go on to do reading and other ministries and that. So it's just a way of encouraging mm. young people, because... We sometimes say, you know, the the young people are the future of the church. They're not. They are the church. They're there today, you know. Not in the big numbers that they used to be, obviously, and we're aware of that. But this is just a way of encouraging, you Mm. know, developing their skills, particularly after First Holy Communion, to make it more meaningful in their lives, their faith. You know, of course, by, yes. By actually serving on the altar, they, they develop their faith skills as well and, you know, come to appreciation of the liturgy and different things. And I presume you would still like them to... Themselves. I beg your pardon, Father. Sorry, I presume what? you would still like them to be part of the bigger ceremonies there, whether it's funerals or weddings, and of course around the yeah. great times of celebration, whether that's Easter or Christmas as well. Yeah, I mean, they're pivotal in those parts. And I just go back to, and I've mentioned them before, Paul Paddy Noonan and Aaron Finnan back in July. Yeah. We had altar service there, and the biggest talking point, apart from Paddy, was the altar service. Mm. Because we had the image which was on the newspapers and that 
of the altar service carrying the, the cross and the candles across our Trillium Bridge with Paddy. And that struck a chord with oh, so many people. must be very powerful indeed. Yeah. Absolutely powerful. Yeah. And the young people themselves have turned around and said, you know, we, you know, we've never seen or been part of anything like that before. But that is what, in the good old days, Fran, as you're talking, I've seen the pictures, because I obviously wasn't in Ireland at the time, all the, the Corpus Christi processions yes. and the processions after communions and servers involved in that. And they were the, you could say, the good old days. You know, they are still there. They're not as many. But for anyone that, that is involved, they, they do play, you know, a mm. huge and, and a pivotal role in it. And I, I so be, because I missed the altar servers, I thought... It might have been a policy by the church uh, following everything that went on not to have young people involved. But obviously, no, that's not the case, Father Michael. Not at all. Like, um, I think how this, I spoke to Alison yesterday. Someone put it up on the Nationalist, I think, that there was a recruitment drive for altar service. Now, mm. that wasn't me, that was someone else. So obviously, yes. it's happening everywhere. I think it was Gurt and Hoon, I wasn't usually it, yeah. do it around September time when the schools come back. This year I had to delay it, just we had a lot of things going on with everything that happened uh, over the year. Mm. Um, so the recruitment is now, but I still have a kind of what they call a, a cohort of servers, and they will help train the new servers as well, so they develop up. And um, it's, as I say, it's a very important, very significant role for them uh, to do, mm. and a very honourable one as well. And out in the villages more so, it's probably easier if there was a funeral or something, we could ask the servers to come along, and we did uh, recently for, for a man in our family who was a great, great stalwart of the parish again and it was lovely for them to play their part as a young person paying tribute to a, a, an older generation who played a pivotal part in of even course. building the church in and, and needless to say it's, it's equal opportunity young girls as well as young boys yeah older yeah. boys older girls it's wonderful yeah. for all of them to, to develop those skills and you know it's it's something very I, I because I was an altar server myself I think I actually served on the altar before my communion I was Did always you? told this I can't actually remember it yes but, um, and isn't that interesting? Because some some of the guys that I would have uh, been an altar boy with went on to the priesthood. So I suppose in terms of you, I did. You yeah. know, and that is always yeah. the hope, and that there would be a vocation. You know, there's a few people I know. A lot of uh, priests would have been servers at one point or another because that's where they actually get to know the church. They of course, know yeah. the literally the nitty gritty of things. You know, things just don't don't happen in that. And the one thing I always say, to, to, because I work in the schools quite closely, they know me. I'm not a stranger coming in saying, would you like to join this club or anything. It's, it, it, they, they get to know me. And the one thing I say, I hope you make loads of mistakes because only when you make a mistake will you learn from it and deal it. You know, if you drop something, so we drop things. That's normal. Let it just flow, you know. And we've great there's a lot of banter and characters, you know, there's a lot of fun as well in it with, with, with the, the teams that I have. I usually get slagged if Man United have a bad day because I have a few Arsenal supporters and Liverpool supporters <laughs> in the old service. So you have to put up with that as well. Very good. You know, yes. during the year, yeah. we'll, we'll go bowling, you know, at the end of the year with the parents and the safeguarding team, just a way of thanking them all and that because they, they do play a, a pivotal role. It's like the readers and the ministers. They are part of the church. As I say, they are yes. the church today. And, uh, and the, um, the, the, the smell of uh, incense and the smell of candles being quenched uh, as well just takes me back so yeah. quickly to those days you know yeah it does like with me as well and yeah. obviously we have to be careful as well with safety incense can cause asthma yeah. and some you know so yeah. the good thing with the safeguarding is we're alerted in, in good time if anyone has an allergy or something so we know what when we can and cannot use different things obviously we have to be very respectful of that and mm -hmm. i think the challenge for a lot of priests and for a lot of parishes is there is a lot of paperwork behind 
any officer, you know, there are forms to be signed and, you know, you have to have the safeguarding. We do stringent safeguarding with the parents and with the teams and with the children themselves, they get a safeguarding input, you know, and there's leaflets and forms and we do everything we can because obviously, you know, we, we have to do that. And that's standard in any kind of club or society now in Ireland. Mm. Um, and it is worth the effort because it, it's always wonderful when I get feedback you know, how respectful and wonderful the old servers are. You get the odd one or two who are talking during Mass and waving at people. Look, they're young. This happens. Of course. Of you know, course, but yes. it, it, it's just, it is a ministry that is still there. And, you know, it, it, it's a wonderful ministry for young people to get involved with. And, something I hope will continue for well, long after I'm gone. Well, the very best of luck with the uh, recruitment. I, I saw you on TV recently on the Katie Hannon show. Um, yeah. It was kind of interesting. The The title to the show, I wonder, were you a little bit offended by, you know, are we living through the dying days of the Catholic Church? And it followed on from Ardell O'Hanlon's two documentaries, The Last Priests in Ireland mm. and The Last Nuns in Ireland. As well. were, you, were you a little offended by the title? Not at all, because I think it was just in Ardell O'Hanlon's of it. Obviously, he's you know he was in Father Ted, and you mm. know initially yeah. you think, oh, this is going to be a right you know slagging of the church. I thought it was actually done quite well and respectfully. He was just giving an honest, open opinion, giving his view of priesthood from his experience, and you know, and he made a valid point. I thought, you know, he's having his children baptized. Am I being a hypocrite? You know, but that's you know, lots of families have said that to me. You know, mm. we don't go to mass, but can I still have my child baptized? They're not being a hypocrite at all on, on that area. So obviously the big discussion then about women priests and priests being allowed mm. to marry and the discussion that, that followed afterwards and that. Um, it, it's a discussion that's happening, Fran. You know, it's happening in the Synod. You know, Bishop Brenda Lee, he was on the panel. Um, I was only there really to give an input into what is it like being a priest mm. today mm. in, the, you know, o- o- at the cold And, and that was an incredible insight because, I mean, you run off your feet, for God's sake. Absolutely yeah. run off the feet, but, but happy. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. as I say, within the seven churches, there's a 21-kilometre drive between two, and I had to go from one to the other yesterday, so it's a bit of a drive. And I have all of that area, you could say, and I have two, two priests who assist, obviously retired, and mm. they're, they're, they're great to do. But we are talking, and you know, the parish council have met, what happens in the event that we are only down to one priest? Mm. We can't say seven masses over the weekend, so what do we do? So we're making practical plans, you could say, uh, contingency plans, that would happen if someone was sick or away. Or, down the line, what will happen if, when we only have one priest, you know, if we don't get an increase in vocations or we don't get priests coming over. And there's all, you know, the big question about should priests be allowed to marry and, you know, the women priests, as I said to the interviewer before, it didn't come up. You know, that's a discussion. That won't solve my issues or problems or challenges today. What I very much rely on, Fran, and as you know and people know, I very much work with the people. It is their parish. I am merely passing through, okay? I don't know if I could be moved in 10, 20, or even two years' time. So I need to do what I can to allow the people to, you know, assist in the liturgies as much as as possible. You know, how are we planning if there is no priest? Without a priest, there's no Eucharist. That's always been the line there. And, you know, there was an interesting article, actually, in the Catholic Hell, Jesse, of a priest writing about, you know, what is really the problem of having married priests? And he kind of highlights it quite quite clearly you know if a priest is married with children that's his first priority i as a priest being unmarried and that's my choice i know it's celibacy is there but it's my choice to be celibate as well mm-hmm. is i have the freedom to be moved without having to move my children out of school or, or that so there's, there's a practical side of it as well it's not saying that anyone's less or more holy or more worthy or anything it's just the practicality of it but mm-hmm. the simplicity of the, the priesthood essentially for me is i'm totally devoted to the people of god 
know, that is who yeah, I... It's, I, it's I, interesting. Yeah. So you, you have no problem with that type of discussion then? Uh, that I have you, no problem. It has yeah. to be discussed. And even yeah. the, the idea of women priests, you know, and, you know, I've spoken, you know, quite candidly about this as well. You know, it is a very valid discussion because yeah. you look at the Church of England. But I went through a period in because I was in England 30 mm. years ago, I think, was the first time uh, there was a female vicar ordained mm. to the Church of England. Mm. And at the time, it was seen by many in the Church of England, not everybody, but by many as kind of controversial. Indeed, some left the Church of England and came to the Catholic faith because they just did not want the idea of mm. there being a woman priest simply because of the fact that Christ called males to be his apostles, disciples, and in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, Christ be male. So it's the actual sacrament of ordination is by the very deed of it, if I can explain it this way, the sacrament of ordination is for a man to be ordained, just as the sacrament of the Eucharist, it has to be bread and wine. It can't be changed into, let's say, a wafer or a carton of milk. Yes, yes. I'm just being facetious on that, but... Yeah, no, no, I know, I know, I know what that you're is, saying. Yeah. That is the first challenge. Yeah. The second challenge for women priests, just, just to, to say, and, you know, that's been said before, you know, back in 1994, I think John Paul II said, just ontologically, because of that, we cannot have women priests, and that has been, that is the end of the matter. He kind of said, we can't, we can't change it because it is the sacrament. Now, that has to be addressed before we can even talk about can there be women priests. That's the first thing that needs to be discussed. Yes. And, and part of the synod is discussing that. You know, so it is a discussion. Mm, but so, we saw we saw with Vatican too that there can be profound changes to to the church, and maybe that's in the future. So my my only problem with it is that uh, the idea of women priests seems to be linked with a desperation for extra priests, as opposed to the bigger conversation. If you know what I mean, Father Michael. And, and that's what I said to the RT when they were doing the. You know, they, they they do phone calls. You know, they they kind of sound you out and see what your your opinions are. And it didn't come out in the show, but I said, you know, if tomorrow they said, right, we're going to allow there to be women priests and we'll allow married priests. Okay. That won't solve a problem for me today because there won't be a huge influx mm. today or mm. tomorrow or even in the near future. And there will be, as there has been, a lot of debate and discussion and opposition to that on all sides, you know. Mm. Um, but it, has, it is a discussion that is, that is ongoing, you know. Um, and it, it's an interesting one because, it, as, I, as I said already, you know, this will be talked about even when I'm gone. It's been talked about long before I was here. But at the moment, the way the church is, they're, they're very clear, you know, because it's the sacrament of, of uh, women uh, being ordained priests, it, because it's a sacrament that can't happen at the moment. The idea of there being married clergy, perhaps there's ways forward in that, because there, there have been kind of articles and discussions on that, that there are in certain parts of the world in the Catholic Church, not, not the Roman Catholic Church, but, but Christian mm. denominations, there are married clergy. And, you know, it's... It is a debate that's going to go on and on, you know. So at the moment, as I say, I'm quite happy where I am because I have the support of the, the huge support of the parishioners and that. And, you know, and I will make mistakes and I will apologise for them. I think I, I wrote about that this week in my homily. And, but, but really, essentially, the church is the people of God. It's not the priest on the top of the altar. I am merely passing through and helping people. Well, to search for meaning in life. Father Michael, it's always a pleasure. And uh, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks, thank you for the, the, the interruption. The <laughs> not, God bless you all. Not Take at care. all. Bye-bye, you know. That's uh, Father Michael Toomey there. We'll take a break. Back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage.ie 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Joe's in Thurles, he has tongue firmly in cheek when he says, lads, no need to panic. As soon as we build the new hospitals and infrastructure in the Ukraine, we'll make a start on University Hospital Limerick if there's anything else left in the kitty, says Joe. Um, a lot of people taking issue with um, Leo Bradcar's reply to Marion Harkin there. Um, Ashing was not killed. She was murdered, Fran, murdered. Um, and it goes on to be rather insulting uh, about uh, Leo Bradcar in particular there. Um, okay, good on Marion Harkin. It says, a voice for women. I live in a rural village. I would not like a group of single young men moving into my community from any background whatsoever. Um, Fran, I have to say, I wouldn't expect anything else from Leo Bradcar or the government regarding that statement made in the Doyle yesterday. Not only are they out of touch with women and the fears that they have about uh, men coming into their communities, their total disregard for women is shown in the upcoming uh, referendum, uh, trying to take the mention of women and mother out of everything for some woke agenda in case we might uh, offend somebody. Uh, don't be fooled into thinking that by changing the wording in the Constitution it will make any difference for carers in the home. It will not this government and previous governments treat carers with contempt and it will not have any standing in law. So there's one where this is on 083 Now, is veganism, um, is it a a sustainable lifestyle or is it just another bit of a food fad? Well, let's find out because Joan Burgess is spokesperson for the Vegan Society of Ireland and joins me now. Good morning to you, Joan. Good morning, Fran. Thank you so much. And lovely to talk to you. Your your, uh, journey to veganism, it it was a kind of a road to Damascus experience. Will you tell me about that? It, it was a little bit, but I would say really um, the the experience at the Port of Cork was maybe the final straw when I stopped, you know, actually pretending to myself. But really, mm. I'd been, you know, having concerns and doubts for a long time. In and fact, what, what even, did you see even, in Cork? Even, uh, okay, in mm. Cork, I was down at the port. Um, there's a a big market there now, the marina. Yes. Um, big food market. But at the time, that wasn't there, and so there wasn't a lot, lot of football. And I've gone for a walk. I was heading up to the, the you know, the river. And um, I saw a boatload of young bulls being shipped in, and I stopped to have a look. Um, and they were being, lo- they were, you know, they were very distressed. Mm-hmm. They were trying to back off back off the gangway. Um, they were being hunted on. And then one of them actually, um, in fear, tried to actually escape and jump off. Um, now he, he he was pushed back on. And I thought, oh, my God, this is mm. this is not okay. You know, I then found out that those animals were being sent to Libya, a journey by sea of about 12 days. And I remember they set off in particularly bad weather. Uh, the ship itself was just uh, a rust bucket and, you know, cows mm. are land animals. You know, uh, Libya itself is a country that has no animal welfare laws. So we're, we're pretending to ourselves that 
We yeah. have high animal welfare. That's we we, we saw that expose on RTE about some of uh, uh, that travel for animals uh, as well. But you say before, yeah. before, and you're a healthcare worker. Sorry. So were you coming at this from a health point of view as well, Joe? No, 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 I wasn't. I yeah. mean, I, I just, I, uh, you know, I work, you know, I work in disability services. I work, you know, with mm. um, in healthcare for a long time. So yes. no, I, I, I was just saying that to your uh, producer or presenter, but. Um, Funnily enough, my daughter, when she was about four, <laughs> asked me, so, you know, she's 25 now, so I think maybe there was seeds of doubt, you know, being mm. sown in my mind. She said to me, as children do, they ask, you know, funny questions. Um, and we had a, a dog, a little King Charles, and she said to me, Mom, when Annie dies, are we going to eat her? Yes. And I remember been taken aback by the question but you see children ask questions without any kind of filter moral, I suppose. Um, but, yeah <laughs> yes, you know yes, she, yes. she she was like we lived out the country at the time and she was like oh well I, I've got a dog and there's a cow in the field and there's you know she it wasn't any you know um it was just this, the simplicity of the child's question really um so but I did. I I was questioning my choices for quite a number of years before, uh, before, as you you say, yeah. that road to Damascus moment. But the, at that point, I went, okay, I'm going to find out what's happening here. Um, I found out that, of course, it's commonplace that we're still exporting. We we sent a shipment to Israel last week. Um, we sent to Libya and Algeria all the time. We're now sending pregnant heifers, um, or heifers and calf, rather, um, to Algeria. So, you so know, the, it's, the it's mid, animal the welfare continue. then that informed your decision, essentially, Joan, is it? Um, certainly, yeah. um, animal welfare and animal rights would yes. be at the core of, of, of vegan, veganism and vegan ethics. But the thing is, it's actually an incredibly healthy diet and it's also really good for the planet. So, like, there is no reason not to, you know? Um, I mean, it would be one thing if I was saying, listen, I'm all about animal rights, but actually, you know what, a vegan diet maybe isn't that healthy. But mm. that, it, it's not true. You know, there's a, there's a great show streaming at the moment on Netflix. I think it's actually trending on Netflix. You are what you eat. Mm. Have you heard about it? I haven't heard about it, no. Okay, well, ha- have a watch, because yes. a lot of people have, have watched it and gone, right, that's it, I'm done. Um, it's a very scientifically-based study um, using 22 sets of identical twins, because, you know, if, if you and I were tested tomorrow, we're completely different. We don't mm. have the same DNA. Mm. So, but with ident- identical twins, they, they do. They have mm. exactly the same DNA. So they put one on a vegan diet and one on a healthy omnivore diet. Very interesting. And, and what was and, the result the, of that? The results are extraordinary. The, best, the health benefits, they found that those eating um, and continuing to eat, even over a period of eight weeks, um, uh, you know, an omnivore diet, including meat, uh, there's a, it, it, it um, actually, around the visceral organs, um, the, the, it, it was extremely, you know, risky to your health. Mm. Um, but of course, I suppose we've we've known for a long time that, um, you know, uh, red meat is associated with 
with uh, cancer and the well, well, over over consumption, of it. over consumption of it. I, I guess I, I'm a complete hypocrite, to be honest with you, Joan, because I'd have issues about animal welfare, and I could not go into a factory where these uh, animals are being slaughtered. But still. I'll eat my steak and I'll enjoy my steak and I'll put everything else out of my mind. So that makes me a right hypocrite, does it not? No, I don't think that makes you a hypocrite. I think it makes you actually someone who is starting to question a little bit. Like, I, a lot of my friends know I'm vegan, but if I, and like you there, if I said to them, listen, do you want me to show you a video of, you know, a pig farm or, you know, mm. the live exports or a slaughterhouse in Libya do can you watch it and they go no 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 I can't mm, you know mm. so so I think we all know you know but it, it's it's a journey you mm. know some of us get there at a certain point look mm. I'm 62 it took me a while you know I'm not I'm not going to mm. stand here preaching um of course and 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 you're not uh, it's just a, a incredible insight into and are you feeling an awful lot healthier since you've gone down the road of being vegan yeah, now look, I didn't do it for health reasons. Oh, I know that. I, no, but just just out of interest. I am incredibly healthy. Um, and the reason I know I'm actually really healthy is, um, you know, I, I get my bloods tested regularly because about 10 years ago I had cancer pre-being vegan, you know. So th- they monitor my bloods and they keep saying, my God, you know, what are you eating? You, you are incredibly healthy, you know. Uh-huh. Um, my blood, iron, leaven, and all those things are... are exactly as they want them to be. Um, so that's a kind of, uh, you know, mm. I suppose, a spin-off lucky uh, factor that I'm tested regularly. But mm. most people I know who are vegan and super healthy and don't take supplements, you just need to eat a varied diet. You know, that's and, all. And uh, how, how do you deal with the perception from some quarters that, you know, oh, somebody's vegan? You know, I mean, there's the old gag out there now. How do you know somebody's vegan? Oh, they'll tell you. Or you're seen as being kind of modern-day hippies or stuff like that. Does that concern you at all, Joan? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, fair. But, you know, the, the problem is if you're looking at a menu and, you know, you, you're thinking, OK, I just need to check with them. So, so yeah, unfortunately, you are... Uh, look, I, I live in Cork, so there's a lot there's a lot on offer in terms of food. And actually, we we know now that we've three thousand restaurants around the country that are serving, offering a vegan dish. Mm. Uh, you know, so so it's not difficult. Mm. The supermarkets are full of foods. They now have sections that are, you know, plant based. So, so, so there's it no excuse could, if you want to do that. Could I ask you, just, just personally, what would you have for your breakfast, for for instance? <laughs> oh, look, I'm a creature of habit. I used to always eat uh, yogurt and granola, so I still eat the same thing, yogurt, granola, ah. or maybe porridge. But look, I, I just have an oat milk or a soy yogurt, so I actually haven't changed really right. what I... You know, and, I'm and not your, like, your, your well, dinner. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna use harvesting berries or anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But uh, I, again, I, it's just curiosity. I mean, your dinner would consist of what then? Uh, last night I had a shepherd's pie. It's it's winter time, so I like kind of right. you know hearty food in winter. And how do um, you replace the mince? Um, oh, the, uh, the the recipe last uh, that I made has lentils instead of mint, okay. and um, mm. so the lentils are all mixed up with carrots and herbs and spices. Honestly, it's delicious. Mm. And and mm. actually, to be honest, it's very cheap as well. You mm. know, I well, I haven't bought meat for a long time, but I believe it is expensive. Uh, a tin of lentils is about a euro 
um, and provides the same amount of protein as meat. And, so, and I'm just you know. about out of time, Joan. So you know the perception as well that if you're vegan, you have to be taking a whole load of supplements on top of your diet. Is, is there any truth in that, for example? I don't take any. And, Do and as I said, when I, I take none, absolutely none. Um, sorry, I lie. I take vitamin D, but ev- mm. none of us can that's, get that's vitamin the D in Ireland. vitamin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I take that once a month, um, mm. but that's it. Um, but that's not, you know, that wouldn't be a supplement. Everyone should take vitamin D if they live in Ireland because mm. um, we, we just don't get it. Of course, it. yes. Um, but, but no, listen, absolutely. Um, you, you get, it, It's... Uh, you know, it, I think more people are, are asking about veganism, though, and exploring it as an option. And even if someone had a vegan meal once or twice a week, then that's a good start. Mm. Hmm. Well, it's most interesting. It's a conversation I'd love to uh, to uh, spend more time with, Joan. But thank you so much for coming on with us uh, today. And uh, look Thanks for a million, Fran. Thanks, Joan. Really appreciate thank it. You. All right. Thank Talk you. Bye-bye, Joan. That's Joan Burgess there, who is a spokesperson for the Vegan Society of Ireland. News is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today, 1800 our free phone number. If you want to speak to uh, Leanne, you can text on WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Now, people before profit is demanding and that the Count Corla of the Doyle, Sean O'Farreel, explain why he said that the extreme right and left in Irish politics are responsible for an increase in hate speech and intolerance in the country. The Count Corla made the comment at a meeting of the European Jewish Association. Now, speaking as part of a kind of a panel. Sean O'Farreel claimed Ireland's small uh, Israeli community of about 2,100 individuals has experienced very little anti-Semitism and is much beloved by the Irish people. He noted, however, the community is concerned over anti-Israel demonstrations and rising anti-Semitism, partly due to a massive influx of immigrants who bring with them some unsavoury views, but also because it's coming from not just the extreme right, but also from the left. Now, Richard Boyd Barrett said left-wing parties have steadfastly opposed racism and Mr O'Farreel needs to outline exactly what he was talking about. But he seems to have forgotten about his own comments at a pro-Palestine rally in recent weeks. And it's a piece that certainly shocked me when I when I heard. Have a listen to this. It's only about a minute long. This a state that is capable of doing this is a psychopath. Yes. Yes. A state that is capable of doing this is a criminal. Yes. It is a barbarian. Yes. It is a mass murderer. Yes. And to talk of peace. You can only make peace with human beings. 
Because people have some humanity. You cannot make peace with a psychopath, with a mass murderer, with a savage. And that is what the state of Israel is. Blinken went to Israel in the last couple of days and he gave the green light to these psychopaths to restart the genocide. Israel is the United States. Israel is the monster created by the United States and Britain before them. They are capable of any atrocity, any savagery. And surely we should have known that from the Iraq war. Well, there you go. Israel is monstrous, psychopath, a criminal, barbaric, mass murdering. Uh, he's questioning whether or not they're human beings. Uh, no humanity. And this is <laughs> this is the guy who has taken issue with Sean O'Farrell, um, saying that left-wing parties, such as his own, People Before Profit, steadfastly opposed to racism. I'd love to know your... What, what do you make of that? 083 311 And remember, uh, the backlash that Matty McGrath got after... The video footage of him speaking in uh, Ross Gray about this country being taken over by refugees. I mean, the amount of hatred that was, that was sent his way online was just incredible. But anyway, as I say, I'd love to, to know what you think about that. 1800-938-007. Now, just before the news, we spoke to Joan, who was singing the praises of a vegan uh, diet. We've had a huge reaction to that. And Liam joins me online. Now, good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Fran, and nice, nice to hear from you this morning. And good to talk to you, Liam. I believe you're 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 stopping eating meat straight away, and you will now be a vegan from now on. Is that it? No, you're a devil, Fran. <laughs> you know my background. I do. <laughs> you know my background. I do, I do. And and for this conversation, I I won't let your your listeners know my my um, my occupation and such because it it's not it's not what I'm on about. What I'm on about is. That lady, Joan, and Joan, uh, like all people, is entitled to her opinion. Sure. And she was talking about veganism, and uh, while I respect that, uh, I do have a concern, and, and this is my concern. Uh, my wife is a celiac, and yes. a celiac is a disease. She doesn't have a choice, where mm-hmm. veganism is a choice. And listen now, I did say I respect Joan, and I respect of them. Course, of course, all them yes. people. Uh, I, I, I eat meat, and I, I, I'm not apologising to anybody for that, mm-hmm. uh, but in a local store here in um, beside me here, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention their name, there's mm-hmm. two of them here in the city, uh, they have removed uh, all these um, the gluten-free products from a line of shelves and they've replaced it with vegan food. Oh. And while I, re- while I respect vegan food, well, uh, if you want me, I can name the store because, I mean, I, I don't know the answer. Why well, 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 there's no need to, to name the store, I suppose, Liam, anyway, right. because, I mean, what you're saying to me, anyway, is making the point. So they've, they've replaced... Yeah. Um, they've replaced uh, uh, gluten-free food on two large shelves, which, which my wife depended on going to the store because of the variety. And, uh, and gluten-free food... With respect to the people that make the thing, because it's quite hard to make it, you know what I mean? It, mm. it can't have yeah. a, a certain cereals in it and things like that. Um, it, it's very hard for her to get a, a type of food that she likes. 
Now, yes. some people might like the bread to have, uh, etc., etc., but whatever. But she, she, this particular store has two stores in the city, and she kind of goes to them all the time. And I just say to her, why in God's name, you know, are you going, paying for the car back when you go? No. The argument is, they have uh, gluten-free food. Well, they did. They don't anymore. The same two shelves now are littered with uh, uh, veganism. And food, are you making food. a point, Liam, then, that this is a kind of a fad that's taking over in some way? Is that, is that what you're saying? Oh, oh. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, a while ago, we went to a funeral way up the country and we went into a restaurant and my wife said, uh, well, what's on the menu? And uh, she said, I'm a celiac. And he goes, are you a real celiac or a born again celiac? And we were like, wow. not, 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 we were upset, you mm, know, because... How patronising is that? Well, well, I suppose he's been so used to people coming in saying that and they're not. It's it, it recognised as a fab. Well, actually, it's not... Uh, celiac is not a fad where veganism is. And I'm not running down veganism. Don't take well, me wrong. Well, All you I'm see, saying... fad, I, I worry about the use of it, even though I said it myself, a fad, because mm. it is a choice, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not that's, the fair way to describe that, it. That's yeah. the magic word. Yeah. That's the magic word. It's a yeah. choice. But, yeah. but my wife doesn't have a choice. And I, I'm upset that uh, the media, uh, and, and of course the lady is entitled to her opinion and she's entitled to come on. Yeah. But I, I, have a few, I have a few questions. Supposing the world changes to veganism, and you saw yourself two years ago that we had a disease called uh, COVID, was it 18 or 19? The minister got mixed up there, the many we have now. But, uh, well, he, we, anyway, he didn't we know COVID. why it was called 19, yeah. yeah oh, right, right. So, yeah. So, so we had COVID. Yes. Well, let's just assume for the moment, just, just to be outside the, the wider picture, let's assume for the moment that we have COVID of a plant world. Okay. Just, just, it's not... It's not Totally impossible. Just let's don't do yes. that. Well, we saw what Blythe well, well, did, then, I suppose, to the Irish in terms of the potato. But go on. Yeah, you make a good point, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, well. Then what do I turn to? You know what I mean? I, if I go veganism, what do I turn to? But equally important, just supposing there's farmers around the country listening to the show, and and they have livestock. Mm. What did them farmers? do with the livestock. So I'd like to have the same conversation on air with Joan, and I would have full respect for the lady. Don't yeah, take me wrong. Sure. I'm not yeah. going to dare to berate her or anything like that. I full. Re- but supposing, just assume for a moment I'm a farmer, or you're a farmer, mm-hmm. and you have X number of livestock on the farm. What do I do with them livestock? Well, and, I, and I had a conversation with, with a guy, I don't know when it was, good. and right. he, his answer to that was that mm. the animals should be left kind of roam free around Around the country. Good on you. Yeah. Good on you. That's yeah. the word. That's his answer, because yeah. that's the, always to be the, the answer. So we let the animals run free around the world, and I have no income coming in, because part of my income, or, or you as a farmer, uh, have livestock. So now I have no gain. But equally important, the, the very vegetables are the very plant food that I want. The bloody animal has eaten. And what happens then... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for laughing. Yeah, yeah, I take your point. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 I, I, all I want to say to that lady is, while I respect her fully, and I do, and all people that are vegans, which is a choice, yes. try and have, try and have the lady have more conversation about, you know, celiac, because I'm quite sure some vegans are celiac as well. I'm quite sure. Let's have conversations around that. And I'm offended for that reason. I'm not offended for the lady. And what I'm did you make of what her point that? You know, the, the, the poor woman, she's gone through a journey of cancer. Um, she's at the far side of that now, thankfully. But but her bloods appear to be extremely well. And the, the medical people are asking her, what's your diet? Because this looks brilliant. Well, I, I'm 
thankful for that. That's the best news I've heard. Yeah. I didn't hear that part because I was, I was just moving away from the radio. But I'm thankful for that, and that's fantastic. I'm not sure if that's a proven science. I'm not sure yet if that's mm. a proven science. But even if it is a proven science, there's loads of people that do eat meat that will die. There's loads of people that don't eat meat and they still will die. Yes. But yeah. to, use, to use that is fair enough in her situation, but it's not a proven science. I know, in but fact, in fairness, she was only... I, I asked her oh, the question. Course, she was only course. speaking about yeah. herself, yeah. Of course. No, no, no. My only problem is, and it's my only problem, and you know my background, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I've not explored that in any one way on this conversation, right. but my only problem is, is one thing, is my wife has a disease, and she's getting no help, or very little help. And and the, actually, the uh, the gluten free food is three times the price. If I buy a slice of bread, well, I don't know a slice of bread. We just say two euros. I'm making it up because I don't know. Uh, if I buy a pan loaf, it's two euros. If she buys half the size of that, it's five euros. Yeah. Yeah. In, in our bread. So it's wrong. We're looking at, we're, we're giving the airways, and respect to that lady, we're giving the airways not enough of celiac problems. That's what we should oh, be It's a very good point, and I'll bring it up with Muriel Cuddy when I'm talking to her later on as well. But would you answer me something, Liam? Because I, I was saying to Joan, I'm a bit I'm of a hypocrite. I'm afraid hip- of that. I'm afraid of that. <laughs> Go on, I'm, so, yeah. I'm a bit of a hypocrite in that I can't even think about what happens to an animal so mm. that I can have the steak on my, on, on my plate. But That's fair it, enough. That's but fair enough, yeah. can, can you, because again, look, let, let's not be coy about mm. this. You're, you're a farmer, but you don't want to speak on behalf of farmers today. But exactly. are you ever conscious of that when you're having a steak? What happens to the poor animal so that you can indulge yourself in, in your strip loin or in your T-bone or whatever? Well, I, I probably have said to you in private conversations and not on air, I have more time for animals, and, and it's a weakness I have, than I have for probably humans. Humans are over my life. I, I, I'm a bit, a bit older than you, Fran, well, quite a lot older than you, and I've been let down an awful lot by humans. I have one animal yet to let me down. Hasn't ever happened. I love animals. I love sheep, I love cattle, and I rear them, and I rear them with care, and I love them. Yeah. In fact, I'll, sh- I'll send you a video where they come up to me every day when I call them, and I rub them. Either I rub a cow on our back, or I rub a a sheep on, on its head or whatever and I love animals and I love all animals dogs, but that's only that's only because they don't know that you're going to eat them <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't tell them <laughs> very good no but, but uh, my mindset is slightly different from that lady and she has to be respected as you have to be respected but we don't think that sort of way we're more involved in the animal is cared for. Yeah. You had a, you had a yeah. program on, on RT there about the treatment of uh, calves. Yes. And I came on your show and I was absolutely horrified. And that's the truth, yeah. wasn't I? I was oh, horrified. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't believe that humans could do that to animals. I was just totally horrified. And so much so, I called uh, a certain farming organization and I went livid with them. You know what I mean? I just went livid. That's not the picture we sent out. We sent out the picture that we are caring people. It's a bit like land. We don't abuse land. We care for land. We're, we're the nurturers of land. People say we abuse it. We've been told due to globalisation to do this, that and the other. The same with animals. We're not happy with that, Fran. We are totally not happy. Well, I, I Look, if everybody treated animals and humans the very, very same way as they should be treated, we would have a better world. And you know that. 
There's a chef onto us and he says celiac and veganism are very separate food issues, but you're, you, you're making that point yourself. But this person goes on to say, I'm listening to the show, Fran, and I'm glad you've had Joan on about veganism. I was a chef for 28 years. I loved my meat. Last week, I decided not to eat meat anymore for all the reasons, health being the main one. I saw the show on Netflix last night. I'm off to do my weekly shop, Meat Free. And that's Tom who's in Thurnus today. Well, no, I didn't see the, the show last night, whatever that show yeah, I didn't was. See and, and, no, no, no. And, and if you, you, you know me, if you mention the word vegan, uh, all, 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 straight away, flames come out of my head. But you have to respect them, and I do. Yeah, sure. I actually do respect. I respect everybody with their choice, be it religion or whatever the case may be. But I'm just saying to you and to your listeners, Look, we need to have a better conversation about disease. And a disease, A, for celiacs, is very, very hard. And, and equally to Joan, and I respect the lady, what happens if we let all the animals run free? Well, first of all, I have no income. I have no income. Mm. Because mm. you can't say turn to, to, to cord and like that. They're bringing in cord from Russia and other parts of the world for half nothing. I can't even buy the fertiliser for the same price they're selling the, the, mm. the, the cord for here. So, I mean, we have to have a wider conversation. It's not just a case of, I open the gates and let the animals out. Well, if I do open the gates and let the animals run free, what happens if one hurts and breaks their leg? Do I chase after it and spend money on the vet to repair it? I don't. Because... Yeah, says I, I, I suppose she would say to you, though, that the animal isn't responsible for you making a living. Uh, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate here now. As you oh, no, 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 you're you not. Know. You're 100% yeah. right, because because there's, there's people, I, I think, I use the word I think, because mm. I don't understand it fully, I think pure ve- veganism is you don't even eat an egg, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you don't even drink milk from a cow. Yeah, and, yeah. and listen, that's fair enough. That All that's fair enough. I'm just saying, like you, maybe I'm a hypocrite. And I, I, I'm not apologising for that. Mm. I, I enjoy the meat, but I more enjoy, and I use the word, I more enjoy looking after animals properly. And that, to me, is my safeguard for the rest of life. Oh. Once I can look after an animal, and, and I'm quite sure you have, and I'm assuming this, you've either a cat or a dog at home, and you love that dog to be. Well, you? we, we, we used to have him, we adored him, yeah. I, yeah. I apologise about yeah, it, right. Yeah. And when it went, you were very sad, but yeah. when it was alive, it was like a partner oh, to you, stop, and I mean a partner yeah. as in a friend, as yeah. in somebody to talk to. The animal never questioned whether you were in good room or bad room, whether you came home late or you didn't. They never do. And, yeah. and all you have the same relationship, and there's hundreds of thousands of, now that you've explored the word, farmers in the, Ireland and in the world that are equally the same. It's globalism that actually took over our mindset. And I mean that, Fran. And maybe that lady is coming from the, yeah. from the way that she sees this. She sees globalism, cattle going in in thousands or hundreds into the factory. She can see whatever it is in their eyes. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't have that same mindset. I look after the animal. I care for the animal. I right. really, and, really and, do. And, and that's uh, that's your job and that's your responsibility. Liam, I must leave it there, but always fascinating to talk to you. And thanks, Fran, th- well, thanks Fran, very much. One, one, one thing, Fran, Fran can yeah, I just say hello, hello to Roger and Maureen in Bellamacchi. They love your show. Ah, that's very kind altogether. Thanks, Liam. Okay. Look after yourself. Hi, Good morning to you. Bye-bye bye bye to you now. That's uh, Liam speaking to us there. Now, if you were listening to our dear Phil Slot uh, this week, you'll know that uh, a woman fell out with her friend after posting pictures from a wedding online. Now, we've had a huge reaction to it on the show, and, of course, it raised a lot of questions about how we should behave, I suppose, online. And Linda was in touch and joins me now. Linda, good morning to you. Good 
Good morning, friends. And lovely to talk to you, Linda. Thanks for coming on with me. What did you make of that? You know, the friendship has broken down because this lady posted pictures of her daughter's wedding, uh, you know, up online without permission to do so. And what, what do you make of it, Linda? I think it's a bit petty, to be honest. If the woman didn't want the pictures put up or the daughter didn't want the pictures put up, they should have made an announcement at the wedding or even before the wedding to say that please don't put up pictures um, until we put up pictures. Good, no good, point good, starting good point. an argument. Yeah. No point starting an argument after the wedding. Yeah. Now, what some people are saying to me is that, well, hold on now. This is the norm. This is what's expected of people who are attending a wedding nowadays. I didn't know about this, Linda. Did you? No. Um, Any time I've been at a wedding now, um, myself, I don't put pictures up myself on Facebook. I'm not a Facebook person, mm. to be honest. But the majority of people I know always put up pictures to show that they have enjoyed the day or, you know, I never heard anything like this. You know, I don't know why this person is so mad with her friend over something like this. I I have a feeling, now I'm reading between the lines, I have a feeling that the daughter probably kicked up more with with the mother about what her friend did. I'm I'm reading between the lines on that, but I think that 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 could be the case, Linda. Well, if the daughter didn't mind photos put up, she should have made an announcement at the meal or before the wedding and said that I, I'd rather, if no one put up pictures, till we put up pictures ourselves. There was nothing said before the wedding or anything. Like She should have put up something online or said an announcement at her meal that she didn't want pictures put up. And what is behind it, do you think? I mean, is it the case that the daughter only wants very flattering pictures of the ceremony? put up or eventually made available to be. Is that is that what's behind it? Is it I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. She wouldn't have put up nasty pictures. Obviously, she would have put up nice pictures of the day. Yeah. You know? Is the whole wedding thing gone completely out of hand now? I mean, it seems to last three days now at huge cost and, you know. I don't know. Um... Anytime I go to a wedding, I always see pe- people putting up pictures straight away when they take photos at the wedding, even at the table, or you know, mm. you know, the pictures go up straight away. And I've never heard anyone talking or giving out until I heard about this. Right. The no pi- point. Um, yeah. No point losing a friendship over something like this. Well, that's what I was just going to say to you. It appears that this friendship has broken down completely over this, which seems to be such a, a pity. But but there you go. What is your advice to this lady? Should she have a conversation with with her friend, the mother of the bride? Well, the the other girl that was invited to the wedding, she had after going out trying to solve the problem and asked her out for coffee, and the woman don't seem to be interested. Whatever. So I don't know whether she's listening to the daughter or she's going with her own advice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But as you say, it's a pity about the the friendship. Linda, it was lovely to talk to you today and do look after yourself and thank you for making time for me. We've had an email from Martina and it says, Hey Fran, my 10-year-old is a celiac and it's the most ignored disease in all of society. I myself was uh, ignorant to it until it hit me, uh, hit my door. And that man, that's Liam, is 100% correct. People don't realise how sickening a disease it is and anybody... Uh, that is celiac, really has to plan every single part of their day uh, from when they leave the house. It's absolutely terrible. We must find out more uh, about celiac and the disease in question there. We'll take a break back in just a second. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, listener says opposing Israel while they actively commit genocide isn't anti Semitic, it's basic human decency. Um, yeah. And and I take your point, and what's happening in Gaza is just absolutely atrocious and appalling and dreadful. Um, writing off the entire Israeli people, though, um, I think would be the same as equating the people of Gaza with Hamas, would you not uh, agree? I mean, yeah. Uh, somebody else onto us to say uh, Richard Boyd Barrett should be prosecuted for incitement of hatred. Hitler would be proud of his anti-Jew, fanatical and radicalised views. Uh, listening to him, one would think that uh, it's only one-sided uh, where the bombs and guns are concerned. His talk is only escalating the war, what is needed for governments to mediate and to aim for a peaceful settlement. Talk about the extermination of one side is the escalation of the war. Yeah, and some of the language, I mean... <laughs> It depends on how you're reading what he said. I mean, was he talking about the, the Israeli people in general? Because he certainly wasn't specific, but he did speak about them being psychopathic, uh, barbaric, uh, monstrous. Uh, he questioned whether they were human beings, uh, lacking, lacking humanity, and all of that kind of thing. Anyway, what do you make of that? 83 And Nina, a woman in her 70s, is planning to skydive with her son this February. And the grandmother, Mary MacDonald, uh, MacDonald even, and her son, Mike, they're com- uh, completing the 10,000-foot jump to uh, help raise money for organisations based in Gaza. And I'm delighted to say that Mary and Mike are joining me now. Good morning to you both. Good morning, morning And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. Mary, can I go to you first of all? Why are you jumping out of a perfectly good aeroplane, Mary? <laughs> well, friend, I'm asking myself that same question. Why am I doing it? But I, I suppose I have a reason for doing it. Let me start by saying I'm not sure, friend, whether I'm more nervous about talking to you than I am about jumping uh, out of a plane. But anyway. Oh, Mary, don't be nervous in the least. You're sounding uh, fantastic. Tell me about this. And yes. indeed, you are founding members of Nina's Friends with uh, Palestine Group as well, Mary. Correct. Yeah. Correct, yeah, yeah. Look at friend, um, my uh, son, I suppose, will kind of fill you in and where it first kick, kicked off. But I mean, you were saying, me, asking me why yeah. am I uh, doing this? Look, I suppose I have to say to your friend, I'm sitting at home night in, night out, watching the television and seeing the horrific devastation that's going on out there. And I just said, God, can we do anything? Now, we have done, you know, we have tried to bring awareness here in Nina and we had great response from the people of Nina. We were out, um, you know, campaigning and trying to highlight what is going on and there was a great response from Nina. But in the meantime then, people have done fundraising um, of different sorts, mainly geeks and that around Nina. But um, anyway... This idea was put to me by my son, who will explain to you in a little while how it came about. Very, very good indeed. Initial, and Mary, yeah, have you done initial, anything like this in the in the past? 
think it is as well. Mike, good morning to you, Mike, and thanks thanks for coming on with us this morning. Will you tell me about how this uh, came about then? Uh, it came about uh, after a meeting we held in Nina about four weeks ago with the Nina Friends of Palestine and we'd, um, we'd just we'd kind of thought maybe we might organise a gig for to raise funds around Nina. Now, this had been done already and there was other people in the area and to do gigs as well, so I just kind of I had it in my head that I might suggest to my mother that would we do a parachute. I didn't mention it at the meeting at the time, but when I came home from that meeting, I mentioned it to her. She balked a little bit starting off, all right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, she just put a bit of thought into it, and she got back to me, and she said, maybe it would be an idea. So I put it to the group, the Nina Friends of Palestine group. They all weighed in behind us. And uh, we all thought it was a great idea. So we got the ball rolling, then we set up a GoFundMe page. Uh, actually, only seven days ago, we opened the GoFundMe page. Uh, our cousin Fergal MacDonald set the whole thing up. And uh, we set our target originally at €2,000. And just through WhatsApp groups and through friends and a bit of messaging, we got the word out. And on day one, we pretty much hit our target of 2000 Wow. And uh, yeah. how, can you tell me how much is in the fund at this point? Um, last time I checked, it was over 10000 in it. Wow. People are so yeah. generous, aren't they? Yeah. 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 And are you continuing to fundraise then uh, at the moment, or are you closing this now, Mike? Well, I, I, I'm no, no, we won't close it, because we have another two weeks, two and a half course, weeks before yeah. the so yeah, we're going to we're going to leave it open, and hopefully more people will, will donate. With the more the better, of course. So um, good. And before I go back to your mum, Mike, I mean, are you the kind of person who would be always aware of what's happening globally and maybe man's inhumanity to man and all of that? Or was this a particular case that that sort of struck a chord with you? No, I'd like to think I'd be fairly. Um, I'd be yeah, fairly well up on a lot of things going on around the world, and I wouldn't be interested. But I certainly um, this this event uh, that we're doing is is uh, a lot of it is is down to um, what we did in Nina in 2016. In 2016, um, a soccer team, an under 14 soccer team from Gaza, came over, and they stayed for a full week in Nina at the time. And the people of Nina were just unbelievable. They were so accommodating and so kind to them. And, um, you know, those kids who are, you know, 12 and 13 at the time, they're now in their 20s. When this late bombardment took place, you know, are they alive or are they dead or are they, yes. I'm sure they're displaced. So certainly a, a, a connection there uh, for for sure. And I think we might have lost your mum, in fact. Can, can we still... No, I, actually, I'm still here. Oh, you're friend. still here, but we lost, we lost yeah. Mike. And what about you, Mary? I mean, what are you seeing on your TV screen that is resonating with you? I mean, is it yeah. the mothers with children having to abandon their homes and their... 
Yeah, all of that. And Fran, I'm a retired nurse myself. All oh, right. So yes. when I look at the situation in the hospitals on the television and they're trying to look after patients on the ground, I mean, it's horrific, really. I suppose that's the one thing that really I found very distressing. And Yes. And now we seem to have lost uh, Mary there, but Mike is certainly back with me anyway. Um, It must be the gremlins in it, but it's it's interesting, the connection from 2016, Mike, with uh, the people of of Gaza. And did you continue to stay in touch with some of those people or...? Yeah, well, the manager of the team actually, I, I, yeah, just just through social media, really, yeah, we, we, yeah, he used to keep us kind of updated on, on how the players were getting on, and now he he hasn't been able to update us on any of those players that yes. were involved. That, but he did put a message up about three weeks ago of a current under-14 player who was killed, unfortunately. Oh, in God, yeah. And of course, at this yeah. stage, I think it's about 25,000 people dead in Gaza and so many yeah. children at, at this point. So it's it, it's really a dreadful thing indeed. If people want to help out, uh, Mike, and if they want to get involved with the GoFundMe, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. Look, we, we've been sharing the link around, but um, I'd say just if you're going to GoFundMe and, and put in Mary and Michael McDonald, you'll find it, or if you put in Skydive, you'll find it. But it's in quite a few newspapers now at this stage, sure, so the link yeah. is there and the link is online. And uh, the two the two um, charities that we've we've we were advised to go with, we did a bit of research before we started, and uh, we were assured that these were two very good ones. Medical Aid for Palestine is one. Um, that's a, yes. a UK-based charity actually, but they have a team on the ground out there. They work with the UN and they have access to humanitarian supplies in Gaza. So. You know, it's a it's a very, very good chance. So you're obviously making certain that the money is raised will be spent properly and and, and looked after properly, absolutely. which is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Sa- sadly, we we bad. lost we lost your mum off the line there, but we wish her the very best. What date are you doing that, or can you tell us that at the moment? I so can. It's the oh yeah, it's the eleventh of February. Eleventh, okay. Next Sunday, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, if you don't mind, we'll check in with you and Mary to know how it how it all went, Mike. Will that be okay? Absolutely, no problem. All no right. problem. Well, look, yeah. we wish yeah. you the very best of luck, and it's a great idea for a great cause. Thank, thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks bye-bye, you to and okay. uh, bye bye to your lovely mother, um, uh, Mary McDonald, there as well. All right, we'll take a break, and we're back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1 800 938 007. Land um, between dairy farmers and tillage farmers is seeing tillage farmers kind of lose out in recent months and years. And then weather has played a, a big role then in terms of planting issues and then harvesting issues. And that may then result in farmers deciding to drop their acres, whether that's uh, mm. to reduce their acreage, whether that's voluntary or forced. But at the end of the day, what it's going to do, Siobhan says, is that it could lose result in the loss of 37,000 tonnes of Irish green and 105,000 round uh, 4x4 bales of straw. So they're the big round bales that you'd see well, in, and, in July. And August. what's the alternative? I mean, are we importing straw then? Is that is that the way We are importing some straw, yeah. So some comes um, from the UK, um, some of it comes into the north. Um, there are some issues there, Fran. You know, it is it is good to be able to access straw if you need it. But it brings with us the risk of importing black grass as well, which is a very, very big problem um, in parts of the UK. And if we're bringing it in here, then we risk wow. uh, bringing in black grass. Black grass is a 
a, a big problem for tillage farmers. It is showing resistance to some herbicides, which is a very worrying um, thing. And it's, you know, it's not, we would much prefer not to have to import straw. So in order to do that, Siobhan maintains that um, and, and lots of the industry, she's covered it in this week's paper, maintains that the tillage industry here needs support to ensure that this acreage is maintained so that we have our own native straw supplies, so that we have native grain supplies. The beef factory price as well, the gap there is uh, considerable to say the least. It is, yeah. So €225 was the biggest price gap found and that was for our three cows. And this is, I suppose, an extensive spread in this week's paper by um, Adam Woods. This is between factories, I guess, Katrina, is it? Exactly. So if, if I brought the same animal to this factory, I would get whatever price. And then if I went to another factory, there is €225 Euros in the difference um, on that particular grade of, of animal, which is an R3 cow. Um, typically, it's about €100 Euro, uh, in the difference between between uh, the cow prices and then on bullocks, 182 So if you're a farmer and you're selling, let's say, 10 mm. bullocks, and you're getting 182 across 10 of them, that's €1,800 Euro in the difference between what, you know, if you can... If you decide to send it to a different factory, you could potentially gain right. €1,800 Euro on and 10 is cattle. is it a really stupid question, Katrina, to say, why don't they go to the factory that will pay the most money? So that is a really good question. And in some cases, it is because farmers just always deal with their local factory and they yeah. either are not aware or are not bothered that they could get more for, for their animals in a different factory. Some of them, it is distance. Obviously, if you're able to bring a small number of cattle into your local um, factory with your own Jeep and trailer versus having to get a haulier to maybe go yeah. up the country or down the country, as it were. And farmers may decide, right, look, at, there's a price difference there, but I'm, I'm willing to take it for the fact that I'd have to get a haulier involved or whatever. But look, at, I suppose our job in this is to highlight the price differential that's there, the potential price gain that's there for farmers, and, and to highlight who's paying the best prices. There's a piece that interests me because I'm trying to get my head around it, and uh, it's what do nitrates changes mean to to farmers a great piece on that uh, today katrina yeah so this is aiden brennan our dairy editor there are proposed changes have been made in recent weeks that would um i suppose to tinker is the wrong word but mm. but mm. to adjust the rates the book values that have been applied to different um animals on the farm so what they're proposing is that the nitrogen excretion rate, the book value for that, would be lowered if the farmer can prove that they are feeding a low-protein dairy nut because what does that do? It'll reduce the amount of nitrogen that they're excreting. And also on calves, they had a book value, as it were, of six kilos of organic nitrogen and the research now is showing that actually that will be more accurate at about one kilo of organic nitrogen for the first three months of the calf's life. All of that information is fed into the farm's calculation of its nitrogen um, output for the year, which will then decide whether they are above or below this now famous 220 kilos of nitrogen derogation limit. It will be very important for some farmers. It's not a game changer, but for farmers who are on the edge, you know, if you're at 222 and you want to come down under 220, 
um, it could be a big difference for you. So Aidan has spelled that out and, and there's tables there for farmers to look at and they can compare it with their own on-farm situation. Yeah, it's a very interesting piece. And for those of us outside of farming, it helps to get your head around uh, that as well, which can be complex uh, at times. Before I let you go, Katrina, I'm intrigued by something because on social media I've been looking at the farmers' protests in Germany and indeed of late in France as well. I've never seen the like of them. But um, the coverage in mainstream media is is kind of... It's, it's slight, to say the least. It is, and look, that's a source of, of um, disappointment and anger for farmers here who feel that it should be you know, much more prominent and that they're not being heard. And perhaps that is why farmers have taken to the streets across Europe, is because they feel that they are not being heard in, in mm. many more countries. Um, very visible protests. Yeah. Uh, we've seen them in Berlin. You know, we've, we've seen huge, huge volumes of tractors taken to the, the streets in France as well. Um, all having their say, it's it's indicative of that unrest, I think, um, among farmers across Europe. It's reflected here in Ireland. We haven't seen farmers on the streets yet. We did see it to an extent during the beef price protest. Mm. But it's very, very... Um, it's a very visual representation of how farmers are feeling, I think, in Europe at the and moment. is it only a matter of time before we see uh, protest on, on that kind of scale, Katrina, here? It, it, it's very difficult to say, Fran, because um, there is a risk. You know, if you, if you go to Dublin and you shut down Dublin, um, yes, your point is heard, but there is also a huge uh, negative um, mm. publicity generated. You know, if you, if you stop a parent getting to hospital on time mm, with a course, child for yeah. their appointment, if you hold up, if you cost people um, who are in business, if you cost them their day's uh, profit or whatever the case may be, that's a you know that's a, a very big downside. Um, I know that the uh, the newly uh, newly elected IFA president Francie Gorman has said that his first tactic will all be always be negotiation, mm. Mm. and if that doesn't work, he's prepared to take further steps. Um, so, do I see it happening in the short term? Probably no, and I think any group or party or farm organisation that would consider it would have a long and lengthy discussion about the downsides of um, those big protests as well. Very interesting. Katrina, always a pleasure. Thank you for your time and uh, good morning to you, Katrina. Bye-bye now. Um, The uh, Irish Farmers Journal, of course, on your shelves right now. News is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Carmina Mahagut, uh, Donald, welcome along to the final hour of uh, the programme. Now, uh, quite a lot of response to the piece we played from uh, Richard Boyd Barrett and uh, Brian was on and he said says, Fran, I would support Richard Boyd Barrett's stand against the genocide in Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, his speech was against Israeli Zionist extremism, which, as we know, is the pinnacle of right-wing extremism. And uh, more disturbed to hear the speaker of the Doyle is entertaining the Jewish community 
I sincerely hope it's not the beginning of an influence lobby in Ireland, similar to the Friends of Israel in the UK and APAC in the US, who are steering their support for the genocide, associating attempts to stop war and genocide should not be associated with hate speech, says Brian. As an opposing opinion, a listener says Richard Boyd Barrett simply loves the sound of his own voice, Fran, a rabble rouser, uh, well suited to opposition, but sadly will never make a worthwhile TD, TD. So very opposing views there. On the whole business of a vegan, <laughs> I'm very amused, in fact, as how even a discussion around vegan can bring the worst out in, in, in some people. Um, PJ was on, a friend of mine, PJ English, who says, why do people uh, that want to be vegan, why don't people who want to be vegan just be vegan and let the majority of people enjoy uh, the meat that they eat? That's that says PJ to us uh, this morning. Lots more coming in on the business of celiac and indeed vegan um, a diet as well. So I'm delighted to have with me Muriel Cuddy now who's CEO of Marito 8020 in Clonmel. Good morning to you Muriel, how are you today? Ready um, to run away after listening to all of that. Yeah, I'll tell you now, people are a little cross this morning. Mm. Um, do you want to talk to us a bit about celiac and doesn't that play into what you were going to talk to us about today anyway? Yeah, because intolerance issues are massive. Like food intolerance, food allergies, all that area is is hugely um, to the fore in what I'm doing in the clinic. And like intolerance issues are up by 60% and about 20% of people like have been diagnosed with some form of intolerance issue. Mm. And it's funny, and I suppose because we're talking about it so much more and because I suppose our foodstuffs have changed so much and become so much more ultra-processed and then antibiotics and different things in the food chain, say, of the meat side of things or whatever, there are more food intolerance issues and there are more side effects or whatever within the body because it's breaking down the gut microbiome and we have more bad bacteria and we have it's creating more of a, an autoimmune response and all of that kind of thing within the body. So there's more of it presenting. And then because the shelves are full of all this stuff... So like you have like say gluten free and vegan free or vegan, whatever, everything is literally there that was never there before. So people that feel they're unwell think, right, if I remove gluten from my diet, maybe I'll feel better. Or, you know, say the, the programme on meat or whatever, people might decide, well, maybe if I go vegan free, I'll feel better. Or somebody that just wants to lose weight, see somebody else on, you mm. know, gluten free diet and decides, OK, I'll remove gluten and maybe I'll lose weight. So there's so many mixed messages out there. It's really hard for me yes, to know what's because right I, and what's I saw wrong. a 58 year old on one of the social media platforms last night and his diet is entirely consisting of red meat and he looked amazing. Yeah. And you see, it depends. Like, he probably has a really good gut. So he's able to break down what he's putting into his body. Right. And, and there's one thing about that. Even if it's red meat, if the source of it is really good, and we talk about this all the time, say like my farming background, 30 years ago, we knew what was in our animals. You know, like some of the, the lads that are still farming close to us or whatever, they kill a cow a year or whatever, kill an animal a year and they put it in the freezer. They mm. know exactly what's in that meat. So like if you have a good idea of what you're eating, it's not going to do any harm at all to you. It's literally everything now has become like so, what would you say, the retail market, mass produced. Mm. And to mass produce it, you need more bang for your buck. Yeah, so what's in longevity it? on the shelf. They and the longevity. Yeah, and I even yeah. put a piece up. So I put two pieces up. I put a piece up on social media two weeks ago on gluten-free and bread and the, the good breads and the bad breads. It's after getting about 20,000 plays, I think, at the minute. And I've had about 200 comments on it like, can I eat this? Can I eat that? That's because so many people don't know what to do. I put a piece up this morning. It's funny we're talking about this and it was on cured meats. So I literally had a packet of ham and I was talking about the fact that this packet of ham looks like Play-Doh. 
why, when does meat look like Plato? Mm, like yeah. meat should look like meat. So breasted chicken should look like breasted chicken. A steak should look like a steak. And they're not all uniform. That every single slice you take out looks exactly the same. So if it doesn't, what are we eating then? It's, well, that's it's, the problem, you see. Yeah. So everybody's here on here and they're given out. But if you take it back to the basics, so somebody that is celiac, Celiac is a serious serious enough illness and like there's nutritional deficiencies and everything that go with it. Somebody that's celiac has to watch what they're eating and they have to get it right, you know. But for most of us, even with the intolerance issues, if we bring it back to the very basics of a whole food diet, your body is going to kind of pull itself back fairly fast into line and get rid of the inflammatories, like the bigger inflammatories, and you, you'll come good very fast. Like I've a man, if he's listening this morning, he knows exactly who I'm talking about. I've actually had nearly all men in the clinic, would you believe, for the last two weeks. And the age profile has been from about 25 to, I'd say, about 75. But one day alone, I had all men. So I had like nine or ten men, back to back, literally. So it's really like... Are we beginning to look after ourselves? I I think yes. And I think men that are feeling miserable, even with us doing what we're doing here, if it's only ten minutes once a week or whatever, uh, men are listening, and that's brilliant. And they're actually realising, if I'm driving a lorry or I'm working in an office or wherever I am, I don't need to feel unwell. Um, and this guy I'm talking about, he'll know who I'm talking about. He's driving a lorry. He didn't feel well. He mm. said he was knackered the whole time. So driving home in the car, like he said, he wouldn't give to say to his wife, like, I need you to drive. My eyes are going to close here. After work, he said, sitting on the couch, absolutely ready to go to sleep. His skin had started breaking down. So, you know, dryness, dry hands, dry, dry, dry face and all that kind of thing. Just two weeks in of removing the biggest inflammatories that were in his world. Yesterday, he said to me, I feel a bit better. And what... Were those well, the biggest inflammatories you're talking about now, everybody is different. So I have to oh, figure yeah. out within yeah. somebody's world what the inflammatories are in their diet. For him, dairy was a huge one. That mm. was one of the biggest ones that we had to remove straight away. Uh, we also removed um, we removed dairy, we removed wheat, I think, as well out of his world. Sugar, things like that. The biggest, more really normal ones. You know, like preservatives and chemicals and that mm. kind of thing. So if you're looking like, say, the, the packet of meat I had this morning had something like eight or nine ingredients in it. By the time I got to number seven, I didn't know what the other one, what the, the last two or three were. So even then, I'd say to people like that guy yesterday, he's younger kids, get them looking at the back of packets on things. If you know what the first five, four or five ingredients are and you can pronounce them and you understand them, that food is fairly okay. But if it goes on, then there's another six to whatever. Am I allowed to mention labels or food names of products? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a particular cereal bar, okay? So the particular cereal bar I'm talking about, I think everybody in the country has eaten it. Mm. I don't know how many times. It was one of the very first ones made. Yes. There is like 30 ingredients in that, right? There's probably, I'd say of that, five or six really good. When they made them in the beginning, they were really good. But now there are so many varieties of them. They've had to add to them and make them taste different and do all that kind of thing. That one alone has something like 27 grams of sugar and 17 grams of saturated fat, plus wow. all the preservatives in, and in chemicals. It's a bar. It's a, it's a health bar. Okay. So, like, how do we know what we're putting into but our that's, bodies? That's the problem, isn't it? And yeah. that's where you're going with the vegan food mm. and the gluten-free food. Like, for me, somebody will show me a vegan cheese, you know, or, like, there isn't a vegan cheese. There's oils in it. There's chemicals in it. There's, there's taste enhancers in it to make it taste like cheese. It's not cheese. So you're fooling yourself into thinking, I'm off dairy, but I can have... But do you know what I mean? That's something that always baffles me, why vegetarians and vegan vegan people yeah. would, would like their food to emulate um, meat in some way or look like meat or, yeah. or you know... Like, what is that about? I mean, if you're anti-meat... You I, see, there's two, there's two types. So your, your real natural vegan is somebody that um, really is upset about, say, meat and, and animals and they're a lover of all of that, like the fish and the eggs. And that's like innate... 
that's not somebody deciding in the morning like I just want to be vegan mm. because mm. whatever that's completely different and most of those people don't take the foods that emulate mm. meat, meat mm. stuffs they go for whole foods like they, they, they live on a diet like of um, nuts and beans and legumes and plant based and berries and all of that kind of thing and that's okay it's it's the other yes that want the, the, the alternatives or the substitutes because yes. they're on a fad of some sort. That's completely different. But you're concerned about those products I'm really, then? And I'm, I'm really concerned about those products. They don't come into my world at all okay. when I'm in clinic with people. Like they have to send me the ingredients on the back of the packets of every single thing that they're, they're, they're taking into their world. All the gluten-free stuff. I have seen more, I'm not going to say a bold word, but rubbish coming through with nutritional labels and as things. being gluten as being gluten free or, or yeah or vegan free or whatever wow. and the biggest thing with vegan free diet is it's really hard to get the calories in it's really hard to get the good blend of your carbohydrates essential fats and, and, and proteins into your world so I see a lot of people that are on, on that vegan path or whatever um, malnutrition new nutritional um, deficiencies, malabsorption issues because their gut isn't great. They crave the wrong stuff so they crave things like sugar and high sugar uh, food. So even though they mightn't be eating the vegan stuff, they might be eating like ultra processed. No, I, I know you were busy this morning. You probably yeah. didn't hear Joan who is a vegan and was speaking to us as, as, and she said, yeah. I mean, she is just amazingly healthy. She's been through a journey of cancer. She's far-sided that now, thankfully, and she's going back and her, her medical consultants are saying to us, you look, you know, your your bloods are fantastic, yeah. your numbers are great. Yeah. Uh, what are you eating? Yeah, but you see, what Joan is doing, Joan, is it? Joan, yeah. What Joan is doing is what I'm doing at clinic every day. She's on an anti-inflammatory diet. Joan is on the right path. You know, like Joan is eating whole food, plant-based yeah. foods of nuts and seeds and everything I've just said. Like, I'm sure Joan isn't eating a lot of the, the vegan-friendly stuff that's out there with the chemicals and preservatives. Um, I, I'd like to have a chat with her, you know, because mm. I think her diet is probably really, really good. Yes. She doesn't have sugar and she doesn't have, have, have what I've just spoken about. That works. Like, that works every day in clinic. Like, the guy I spoke to you about yesterday. Um, I'm actually, next week, we, I have a guy that I think we've gone through the system 12 months ago. He was in here in studio, if you remember, William. I do indeed, We're yeah. going to do a follow-up with William okay. after where he is 12 months later. He was the same. He started out like, remember he had twins, mm-hmm. couldn't cope, couldn't train, couldn't do anything, whole body was breaking down, spent most of his time hanging over the sink, feeling like he was going to get sick or whatever. He has come full circle. His visceral fat, which is the fat around your internal organs, has come down by three, four levels. His body fat has come down by 10%. His weight has come down by a stone and a half. Didn't have a huge amount to lose anyway. Hydration levels were really low when he came into me. Hydration levels are perfect now. He hasn't made massive changes. He's just removed what I've said. Mm. And he's eaten now like um, an anti-inflammatory diet of whole foods of what we were reared on. So like he still has meat in his world, right? Tries to buy organic more than mm. the other mm. meat if he can at all. But he tries to eat really well. They make their own sauces, their diet like wheat mix porridge, spuds, veg, fruit, all the normal proper brown bread, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and he's really well. And like he's three kids and he said the kids are starting to eat the same things that he's eating. It's kind of simple, isn't it? Well, everybody here is overthinking it. Yeah. And they're getting, I won't say, can I say their knickers in a twist? Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah. that's the way it is. Like, you have to pull it back. Look outside the box. Like, we know exactly what to do. If somebody is sick, if somebody feels miserable, so like the symptoms of, of say, like, we were talking about celiac disease a minute ago and that man that was on. Yes. Like, the bloating, the abdominal pain, the diarrhoea, the, the constipation, the headaches, all of that kind of thing. With celiac, you've whole body symptoms as well. Like, you have joint pain, you have um, anemia, you have malabsorption issues, you have nutritional deficiencies. That's serious and you have to get that piece right. 
So like with something like that, you'd have to go to somebody like sit down with me and I would go through your world with you. Right. But it's still the same thing as in a celiac, like fruit and veg, like beans, seeds, nuts, eggs, like all your legumes, things like that. Non-processed meat, fish and poultry. Mm. So it's non-processed, but you can still have it. Low fat dairy, potatoes, you can have dark chocolate, all of that kind of thing, you know, but you're taking out like the inflammatory stuff. So that's most things. Um, with celiac, it's serious enough as in if you have celiac and your body's starting to break down, gluten remains in your tummy for four hours. OK, so it remains in your small intestines for six hours, but it remains in the body for two to three days. So those symptoms are going to be there if you take in gluten. So it's really hard to test for it. It's really yes. hard to test for celiac and that. So you have to monitor your symptoms and do a food journal and write it down. didn't you tell me some time ago that you had concerns about people thinking that they're... Uh, they have an issue with gluten when yeah. they don't. Yeah. Did you tell yeah. me that at one I do. Stage? You see a lot of these crossover. So a lot of the different symptoms with IBS and IBD and intolerance mm. issues and everything, they break down the body. So like bloating, like the three months pregnant. And I'm getting a lot of that. It's great, again, that we're talking about it because men are starting to talk to me about their poo, mm. right? Men are starting to talk to me about Muriel, the three months or whatever, like our, the, the belly is out, you know? And like even the guy yesterday, I said to him, well, welcome to the world of women. Like, that's what pregnancy feels like, or the early stages of pregnancy. But they're starting to talk about yeah. it. Like, you shouldn't have diarrhea. You shouldn't have gas. You shouldn't have abdominal bloating. You shouldn't have itchy skin. You shouldn't have dry skin. Um, there's so many different. You shouldn't have giant pain. You shouldn't have muscle stiffness. You shouldn't have headaches. You shouldn't, like, have, have like a sleep disorder that you're waking at three or four o'clock in the morning. Like, these things shouldn't be there. So, if they're there, we've got to get to the to the bottom of where they're coming from. Now, some of them can be because you have intolerance issues and your gut has broken down and the microbiome there isn't where it needs to be. For others, it's not that. It's, it's years of like maybe stress, you know. It mm. could be anything else like cortisol and maybe there might be one or two triggers in your world that you don't need, like, like sweeteners can cause it, like, you know, fructose and overdose of sugar can cause it, you know. So there's so many different things there and all of these, like the IBS, IBD, celiac, they can all cross over and back. Mm. So to get to the bottom of what it actually is, it's hard, but you can do it. Yeah, and and I never fully understand why we tend to be addicted to the foods often that are causing this, these, yeah, but you see, these symptoms. It's a brain gut. So like yeah, the brain and gut are, are, are connected completely. And like it's, it's only in the last four or five years they actually said like the brain and gut, the, the brain or the gut is our, our first brain and the brain is actually the second brain. And like they even have summits on it now, which they didn't have like pre-2019. So we actually know now everything that's happening with our, in our gut directly affects our brain. So your dopamine, your serotonin are made in your gut. So like 74% of your serotonin and up to 90% of your dopamine. The brain has to get those feel-good hormones from somewhere, Fran. If they can't get it from down here because of all the bad bacteria, etc., they're going to have to get it from somewhere else. So like sugar, fructose, things like that, it's going to make you crave it to give you the feel-good high. Somebody is asking about um, uh, IBD and w- wondering about the cause of that and stuff. Do you want to talk about th- This is about intolerance as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it is, you know, and IBD is an immune malfunction, so that's different and it's serious, like it's Crohn's and ultracolitis and that kind of thing. So IBD is inflammation of the GI tract. You have to get that uh, diagnosis of that done and you have to really watch your foodstuffs if you have IBD so that's mm. serious enough like that's it's different completely to IBS so IBS like his brain got again you know right. and that's like this the, the, the digestive system so yeah they, they all kind of cross over but IBD would be the one that you really have to watch your, oh is your, it okay yeah. what does that stand for IBD um, irritable bowel 
sorry, I disorder. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. And somebody else wondering, and it's a very good point as well. You know, hard to understand why most of our vegetables are imported, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? That they have to be kept looking fresh. Yeah, and and you know, we had this conversation the other day in the clinic. So. Um, our new doctor, um, Dr. Najira, was with me um, while I was doing some of my consultations. And we were talking about fruit and fruit in Ireland. And we, we started talking about mangoes because somebody from had come back from Pakistan last summer and brought us mangoes. And my God, they were like, absolutely, like, like you're eating sweets for all the world. And we started chatting then about fruit and how hard it is in Ireland to get really nice fruit. And like the fruit that's there at the minute, the berries and stuff are costing like five or six euros. Like they're not in season how are they kept fresh? They're not even as in, like within a day they're gone mouldy or whatever. So I think frozen berries and things like that are really good at this time of the year, if you can at all. But do you know something about fruit, Fran? It's funny because there's three things, like you're either like a vegetable person, a fruit person or a salad person. And and people don't seem to like all three. Mm. So like if you're not getting the fruit into you at this time of the year and you don't like it, uh, go on one of the other two, like the salad or the, the vegetables, and get your colour in another way. But it's very hard to get decent fruit in Ireland. Yeah, and uh, I love tomatoes, for example, but, I mean, some of the tomatoes we get in our supermarket, for starts, they are, they're they're all uniformed in terms yeah. of how, how they look. But, I mean, if you get a tomato in Spain or Portugal, it tastes amazing. Yes, but none huge. of them look the same, do you, you see, know? what you really need to do is have a greenhouse out the back. <laughs> Yeah. If you can actually go out and grow your own. Yeah. <laughs> that would keep the mind right, wouldn't it? But that that would be the way to go. And years ago, again, we did have all our own, didn't we? Now they have to spray them. They have to, like... And, you know, people don't buy the ones that look crooked or... You know, it's it's proven, like, the research yeah. is there with Aldi and Littles and them. Like, if a carrot, like, has two prongs out of it, like, you're not going the, to buy it and you pick up, that. like, the perfect one, yeah. Like Somebody asking uh, your, about your opinion on adding salt to our tea. Is that a thing? Ah, Lord, that sounds like Nigeria. Nigeria told me she puts chicken in her porridge. What? Yeah, <laughs> chicken broth. She said, I have to make Ugh. you chicken porridge. And I was bad like, enough to eat porridge. Oh. That. She said she eats sweet porridge here. Like, in our country, they eat, like, savoury porridge. But you know, anyway. I was very amused uh, as to what people take from our conversation because I met a guy the other day and he said, I was listening to yourself and Muriel and I thought he was going to say he took on board some of your, your thing. And he said, I went into that garage on the dock road in Limerick and yeah, their sausage rolls are fantastic. <laughs> So that's I said, did you not take any of awful. <laughs> that's just awful. And you know, everyone that talks to me about it, the same thing. They take more from you than they do from me. Doesn't that just yeah. act, it, it totally say what we're at, Fran? That's like Ireland it, and we're all giving out. But that person salt in your tea. Why in God's name would you put salt into your tea? I don't know. I Sodium don't know. in your tea, um, unless it's actually been, you've been tested and there's a deficiency there for sodium. Like, you don't need to... And like anyone that's listening, you don't need to add so- salt to things. Like, it's in every single thing, literally. So unless, yes, you've had your bloods done and you've been tested first. We do a lot of mineral deficiency testing and vitamin mm. um, deficiency testing because, like I keep saying to you, you don't need to supplement with things. You don't need to take things unless you're sure the body needs them. So even if you have a malabsorption issue, there's no point taking, like, these vitamins and minerals until you sort out where the issue is coming from and what it is. You know? Yeah, and I, I think you have issue with the, the idea of a multivitamin as well, don't you? I do, you, I do, because yeah. you need to know. Now, if you feel down or whatever... It's not going to do you any harm for three months. But, like, you need to know, what are you deficient in? Is it vitamin C or D or... Do you know what I mean? I suppose. Somebody wants uh, your opinion on veg frozen as opposed to to fresh. Um, Is there a big difference there? Um, The frozen are possibly better. 
to be honest. Frozen better? Yeah. Um, the wow. Again, the, the, the research is there on it that they're frozen literally within minutes. They're brought in immediately and frozen immediately okay. uh, once they're picked. So the, the freshness... Right. There. But I mean, if you go to a farmer's market and it's literally in from the farm, yeah, that, well, that has to be the better it, There's going to be, I suppose, six of one and a half dozen of another. But the ones yeah. that you're getting on the shelf inside in the supermarket for, for wherever they've travelled from and by the time you bring them home and put them into the cupboard and leave them there for three or four days and yeah. sometimes even forget to forget to take them out and yeah. cook them. But the frozen is good, yeah. Sum it up for me, will you? I mean, what sort of symptoms would lead you to believe that we have intolerance issues? I mean, the people presenting themselves to you, for example, they're coming in with what, tiredness? Okay, so they're coming in with so many things. So they're coming in, say, bloating, diarrhoea, gas, uh, constipation, abdominal pain, um, muscles, aches and pains, memory loss, uh, brain fog, trouble concentrating. Actually had somebody in the other day with ear pain, um, skin issues, dry skin, itchy skin. Actually had somebody with itching underneath the skin um, on his elbow. Couldn't see any sign of anything. There wasn't anything there, but the itching. Now this has gone back a long time. Didn't even think about that until I actually said it to him yesterday. I said, do you remember the earlier symptoms you had? And he's got it forgotten about that one. That used to drive me insane in the car. Uh, Unexplained muscle aches and pains. They shouldn't be there, there. I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70 or 90. There shouldn't be unexplained muscle aches and pains there. So the body's breaking down. Um, what did I leave out? Mm. All the things, anything that's wrong within the body. We should be like we were in our 20s, really. Yes, we get a little bit older and we might get a little bit slower. We don't need to. Like, our brain should be just as fresh. Yeah, you know? And in the past, you've said to me, we, we almost accept a certain amount of immobility and... Well, I gave you a number last year. I asked you to give me a number last year, Fran. And possibly the year before, and possibly the year before. <laughs> and you know if the number was like, physically and mentally. Yeah. So if you put the two together, most people nowadays, you can't really put the two together. You'd nearly mental, I might be a four, and physically I might be a six. But right, this is one out of ten. Out where, of ten. Where we would see our... Yeah, your health. Our health, yeah. our well-being. Well-being, yeah. So yeah. if you were to put the scale down and give yourself the number, am I a six out of ten, or am I a four out of ten? What am I, mm. right? And then where do I want to be? So do I want to maintain that number? So for the next two years or five years or ten years or in when I'm 70, say, do I mm. want to still be that number? Or can I see myself getting better or can I see myself getting worse? Like for me, it has to be getting better. Like I've just, mm. the thought of getting worse would be like awful. But even if you could maintain it, but most people, they go backwards. So say if they're a six, next year they'll give you a number of a five. Mm. And they'll kind of say to themselves, but that's okay. You hear it all the time. Like I, I suppose I am pushing on. I am whatever. I have like... An 86-year-old coming into the clinic, like, that's fitter than most 56-year-olds and looks like she's about 60. Do you know what I mean? So, like, a lot of it is how we mind ourselves, but a lot of it is up here. So a lot of it is your mind, Mm. as in, you know, what you want from life and how you see life and whether you are positive and you can do things like this and get them right or whether you're negative because if the glass is half empty. I suppose, yeah, but I still think that healthy people like you might underestimate the power of the addiction to stuff that's bad for us like sugars and No all. I don't agree because you say healthy people like me I've been through the unhealthy the healthy like I yeah. work so hard every single day I've been healthy so like every single person my mind is the same as somebody else's I've got to put things in place to keep my mind well to make me do the piece right, right. or I can slip down the slippery slope the same as somebody else and if I do slip down that slippery slope then my world doesn't work and I feel so miserable and when you slip down into that hole Fran it's so hard to get yourself back out and the only way you can get yourself back out is the two words I use all the time it's consistency and discipline because they form habits so it's the discipline of putting your feet on the floor every morning at whatever time you don't want to 
that none of us want to. We do it because we have to make money or we have to whatever we make the kids do because they're going mm. to school. It's exactly the same in your world. Like if you can only say, right, I'm going to have porridge for breakfast and I'm going to do it every single morning for the next three months and I'm doing nothing else different but just having porridge for breakfast. Eventually that habit will form. Your, your palate will like it. Your gut will feel good after it. And going out the door and three hours later, you'll f- still feel well and still feel good. And that's a habit formed. Somebody telling me about a mobile app uh, called Yuka or something, but you, you can scan food products with it and it will give you the information about the I love this. I'm going to bring a girl on in the next couple of months. Um, she's lost probably about seven stone. Um, she wants to travel and this was impinging her big time. She's using an app, so she's using my Fitness Pal app, right? So my Fitness Pal app that she's using gives her the perfect blend of carbohydrates, fats and protein every day. So she puts her food into it so she can scan the barcodes on her food and everything. She can take a picture of her food and automatically it uploads it and it gives her what she needs. Now, I'm not a big believer in numbers, and put numbers on things. But for some people, like this girl, it worked really well. So for like this, the lady that's on there, sometimes being able to put things into your phone and track it gives you a focus. It's like a journal or whatever. And if that focus works for you and makes you feel better and, yeah, you lose weight or your health markers come down, yeah. Very good. I thought it was an insult to it the way it began. But uh, it says, Fran, uh, Muriel, uh, Jesus, she's a godsend to listen to. So there you go. That's that's uh, somebody very positive. If people want to talk to you about uh, all of this. Yeah, if somebody, before I let you go, Muriel, in fairness to the garages, the deli food in Ireland is, in my opinion, the best in the world. I know people all around the world and they can't get it as good as Ireland. No. I think there's a mixture of food available well, in the see, Delhi. Again, it's, it's, it's on the eye, isn't it? Like, wh- why are we focused on going to the bland place? Like, it's the colour piece that we should be looking at because, like, that's, like, for our, our yeah. like, for us, colour is what we like. Stay away from the sausage rolls. So Move up. Just, yeah, and the telly's brilliant. Like, I eat, yeah, like, the, the, the salad place. I'm looking uh-huh. at Fran here laughing yeah, at me. Yeah, <laughs> this is the sausage yeah. rolls. <laughs> Yeah, uh, heard about the wine earlier on too, actually. Uh, about the Pope? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah. gift from God. Yeah, yeah. A gift from I'm wondering God, what's going on in the Vatican. Go, I, I must ask him how he feels about sausage rolls on the, <laughs> yeah. on the dark road. He delivery. doesn't know what they are. <laughs> All right, if people want to talk to you, Muriel, how can they do that? Um, 0526148881 or www. Marito8020.com All right, okay. Are you getting a bit of brain fog there? A little, a little. Right. I'd say that's age. Right. Do you want a sausage roll? Maybe it was the wine. <laughs> we'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Eamon is tuning our way in Birmingham this morning and he, he says vegetarians and vegans simply cut out the middlemen. Uh, animals eat vegetables to grow meat. We cut their throats so we can eat their meat. So we go straight to the vegetables, says Eamon, who's in a very thoughtful mood uh, in Birmingham this morning. Anyway, my friend Eamon O'Dwyer is in Nina for this week's uh, Down Your Way programme. He heard some really interesting stories indeed on the history of the castle there. So let's give you a taste of what you can expect from this week's Down Your Way programme. There's a gap right here where we're sitting in the, in, in the reception area. Yeah, uh, actually, what you're looking at there is a breach in the wall where a man called Solomon Newsom in 1760 had leased all the land around here from the butlers and uh, he planted corn and wheat in the fields outside 
But the birds nesting in the tower were coming down and eating his corn and he thought long and hard and how would he solve his problem and he came up with the idea of blowing up the tower. So where you're looking at that hole now, he packed that with gunpowder, which was very expensive at the time. And he lit the fuse, stood back and waited. He got a big bang and just a hole in the wall because the walls are 16 foot thick and they weren't stern for no one. And... Uh, Thankfully to him now, he gave us a grand entrance into it from in on the basement floor because the original entrance was around the back and you had to go up a flight of stairs into the first team. So where that entrance is lets you right into the basement or the dungeon of the castle. I suppose this was a different... We're here, as I say, in the reception area, but this wasn't the reception area in, the, in years past. No, this was a, it's called what they call an oubliette dungeon. It's a French word, and oubliette means to forget. So there would be a hatch up there on the ceiling we're looking at. Prisoners would be dropped down in here and forgotten about. Okay. And they would send slaves down then every two weeks or whatever to bring out the bodies. If you just drop down, no food? No food, no light, no water, nothing. It was just, uh, I don't know, some people say they had this uh, weird sense of the, you know, they were devout Catholics and they didn't like to break the commandment, thou shalt not kill. So if you drop down here and they closed the door on you, you died of natural causes, they didn't kill you. Oh my God almighty. How many people would have been dropped down here, I wonder? Do they have any, any idea what kind of figures we have? Well, we've no definite figures, but um, it You'd ha have to be very uh, much hated by the butlers to be dropped down here. Uh, they had a law system which worked to a certain degree, but if you were aggressive towards them, mm -hmm. you had a, a terrible fate awaiting you. So you could be talking about dozens, more than hundreds, yeah. Okay, this is a historic part of Nina, really, for the most part, and indeed right across the road there's another historic part. Yeah, that's the, what we call the Heritage and Genealogy Centre now. It was the old county jail because, um, because Tipperary was so big and long, it was impossible to police. So they divided the county into North and South Riding and they made Nina the capital of North Tipperary Riding. So it needed a courthouse and it needed a jail. And they were built simultaneously 1842 and 1843. So the old jail uh, was quickly filled up. Um, on the very first day of the trials, there was lads sentenced to Australia, deportation for stealing sheep. Uh, there was one lad up for the killing of his father-in-law, and he was hung outside the gates six weeks later. If you were a woman during that time, God help you, uh, one woman was deported to Australia for stealing a reel of thread. Another woman was saw said to have been drunk downtown. She was arrested, brought to court, and she was deported to Australia because they needed a big influx of women in Australia to work and to repopulate the, the, the region, you know. So it was tough on women. It wasn't a good place to be a woman, was it? No, certainly not in those times anyway. But what the, the, the young fellas used to do, because it were during famine times and there was mass um, evictions and poverty, drove the, the, the young fellas into town looking for food and work and things like that. So what a young fellow would do when he came into town is he would commit a crime, like he might break the window of the police station to be put into jail. Mm -hmm. So he, once he was in jail, he got a pound of bread and a pint of milk twice a day or something like that. 
And that's a little portion of this week's Down Your Way programme. Absolutely fascinating stuff, isn't it? You can hear it in its entirety this Saturday morning, just after uh, 10 o'clock, just to bring you some more. There was a couple of bits and pieces from earlier on this morning I wanted to bring. Oh, yeah. One of our listeners says, I have a friend who received a letter from a hospital. I'm not going to say which one, Fran. Um... Uh, wondering, does she still want to be on a waiting list for a procedure she needs after eight years waiting? Can you imagine? It's a joke, really. And with all of the refugees, asylum seekers coming into the country, I don't know where it's all going to end. We just don't have enough resources and uh, the government seemed to be oblivious to all of this, as one of our listeners this morning. And somebody else saying, you'd be better off going to see a vet, Fran. <laughs> the first thing the doctor asks you is, What's wrong with you? I don't know what's wrong with me. That's why I'm here. A vet, at least, can't ask a dog um, what's wrong with them. They have to work it out themselves. So that's somebody advocating that we go to vets instead of uh, GPs. Uh, We'll take a break. Back with more Tip Today in just a moment. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, Alyssa says, I got a letter um, wondering, did I want to stay on a waiting list after a few years as well? The vet is looking better all of the time. There's going to be a rush of people going to see their, their vet instead of their GP. I remember years and years and years ago, crashing a car outside of Dundrum Village, and it was a vet that saved my ass and cleaned me up and all of that kind of thing. But anyway, something completely different. Louise Lawler is from the Zero Waste Market in Clonmel and she joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Louise. Hi, and lovely, lovely to see you today. There's different aspects to what you do. Can we start with the toy library? Because I'm intrigued. What What is that? So um, toy libraries are basically like book libraries, but you loan out toys instead of books. Um, I came upon them through the eco-activist toy store, Jiminy.ie. Mm-hmm. Um, she promotes um, eco-friendly toys and buying second-hand toys and toy libraries because there isn't many toy libraries in Ireland, but they're actually very popular throughout the world. Right, so a, a kid comes and borrows a toy for a period of time. Is it that simple? Yeah, they take toys out for up to a month and then bring them back. Right, yeah. isn't that great? So how is that going? It's great, yeah. We've been going now 10 months in Clamel and we have over 60 children um, using the toy library now. So they come, take their toys, um, bring them back the month after. And with parents constantly saying, you know, they're, the children are excited to come to the toy library. They, they're they looking forward to the trip out with their parents. They go home, play with the toys. Um, but of course, children get bored of toys. Mm-hmm. So they have the novelty then of coming to swap them a month later. And it's so important because the biggest problem is that the toy industry is the world's most plastic intensive industry with 90% of toys being made from petroplastic, virgin petroplastic. And so many of those are made from mixed materials, really hard to recycle and often end up in landfill incinerators and unfortunately in the ocean. Wow, isn't that very interesting? And of course, kids, by their nature, they discard, as you say, toys and they get left aside and all of that. Whereas this way, they can just go and get something else and give back the toy. I think it's very effective. Yeah, and it's not just more environmentally friendly. It's also a very 
um, important socially for children because it's encouraging play. And we have so much competition nowadays with screens that anything we can do to encourage children to play is important. I mean, the benefits of play is just huge in a child's life. And when the children come and take a toy from the toilet, I see it with my own children, you know, they'll take a little tractor home and then all of a sudden they're pulling out cars and tractors and dolls and loads of other toys that they haven't played with in ages. They're building a garage for the tractor. All sorts of imagination um, is being used with this small toy that they brought home. Isn't it great? Where do you get the toys from? Donations. Donations. Yeah, we had a very um, good relationship with the charity shops in Clamwell as well, particularly the Sue Ryder shop. Um, and any excess toys that they don't want or that aren't suitable for selling on their shop floor, mm. they donate to us. Um, but a lot of parents just donate toys to children. There's, people have so many toys lying around in corners of houses and um, people are overwhelmed with toys. Isn't that so great? And are you particular about what kind of toys that, that you lend out? I mean... Do you have a certain criteria for toys? Yes, but we don't lend out soft toys because we can't clean them, so they have oh, to be course, easily yeah. cleaned. Yeah. Um, but we have a whole range of toys um, for children. But yeah, just not the soft toys. Um, and um, hmm. that's the main one. That's, that's the main one. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So I presume sometimes when you get back toys, are they in unfortunate shape? I mean, do they get broken and stuff? And does the repair cafe come into this then? Well, the Repair Cafe have repaired toys for us. Yeah. Um, and um, the, yeah, if I if we had, get a broken toy and I can pass them over. But yeah, the Repair Cafe are running alongside um, the toy library in Jenny's Zero Waste Shop. Um, and they're a group of volunteers. There's about 12 of them with backgrounds in science, electrics, um art, mm. um, engineers, they're a really skilled group of people and they'll fix all sorts of things that come in. And the whole idea, again, is to keep things in circulation and out of landfill. Mm. Because, again, we tend to discard something if it's broken. Yeah, and we see so many things coming in um, that they, they're able to fix. And if they're not able to fix them, they also have a diagnostic service where they'll advise you on how you could get things fixed or if they can't fix something on the day they'll um, keep it and fix it for mm. you and it'll be ready in another And the the repair does that happen on the premises? Yeah most okay. of it, it happens straight away yeah, or within a few hours we're open the last Saturday of every month from 11 to um, 1 so most of it will happen in those two hours but if not they'll take it away and fix it and bring it Very good. the if next pe- day and yeah, if if people want to get involved and sort of go along and see what it is you're doing, where where exactly are you? Yes, yeah, so we Jenny from Zero Waste Shop has kindly given us a room beside her um, shop, and that's where we run. My, myself and Jenny run the toy library, mm. and we set up then in conjunction with the Zero the Repair Cafe were already in existence. They are going since 2018. Yes. So they set up alongside us so that we could have this sustainable hub in Clonmel to give people options for um, living in a more eco-friendly way. Um, so we're all located in this room beside Jenny's Zero Waste Shop. Okay. And, um, I have a funny feeling you're going to be inundated because I'm looking at the screen here and already people are wanting to know about contact details and opening times oh, and all brilliant. of that. Yeah, yeah. What, what about the library? What, what about opening times? So, yeah, it's the last Saturday of every month. Um, Jenny's shop is open Mon- uh, Wednesday to Friday and Saturday mornings every week. That's for the zero waste mm. shop. But then the, we open the last Saturday 
um, of the, every month from 11 to 1 for the uh, Toy Library and Repair Cafe. And um, the but if you need to drop in toys at any other stage, like if people want to drop in donations, they can drop them into Jenny's shop and she will collect them for us. Um, mm. And That's a, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. How did you get into it in the first place? I mean, were you always conscious of what was going on out there in terms of waste and all of that? Yeah, I would have been. Um, I would have been using, you know, natural cleaning products and things at home. It was during COVID. I was, I was looking for ways to entertain my children, and I discovered Jiminy.ie, the activist toy store. So she. Um, Sharon from Jiminy, her all her toys fall under a certain environmental credential, and um, she advocates for other toy companies to uh, change their ways and have toys that are only environmentally friendly. Um, and then, as I said, she promotes buying secondhand toys and toy libraries. So I just realised from following her on Instagram the problem with plastic toys in the world, and it's actually so much bigger than I ever realised once I started looking into it. Some of our listeners wondering about setting up in other towns around uh, the county. Yeah. Are, you, are you busy enough as it is or is that something you'd be looking towards? Oh, we'd love to promote um, toy libraries throughout Ireland. There's only one in Carrigmacross in Monaghan and there's one in Bambridge in County Down and that's it. Ours in Clamel. There's a few um, in libraries around the country but like we have one in Cashel Library we have a small shelving mm. unit there it'd be amazing if they were in libraries throughout the country because they're already set idea, up for lending yeah. um, but from doing the one in Cashel what I found is there isn't enough space um, in the current setup, the way the libraries are set up at the moment, there isn't really space to have a room for toys, and you do need yeah. a bit of space. But I think going you, forward, you it probably, would be amazing. To yeah, you probably want the repair uh, angle as well to be happening on the same premises as well, wouldn't you? Because I would imagine that. Well, it all works. It, it all works, works really works well works together. Really well, but yeah. Yeah. we were particularly intrigued with the notion of the cloth nappy loan kit. Yes. So that's you, a new thing I've started. Can you explain that, please? Um, well, the Cloth Nappy Library of Ireland, they're a separate organisation and they lo- lend out kits for people to try cloth nappies. So when I was looking into cloth nappies when I was having my daughter, um, they uh, like it's, it's a bit overwhelming. There's so many different types of cloth nappies and different ones for different babies. And the whole thing with the cloth nappy kit, then you can borrow a kit from the cloth nappy library and you can try the nappies for a month Mm. and then see what suits your baby. And then you can go and invest in your cloth nappies. So there wasn't a kit in Tipperary um, and I got lucky now and I just tried a brand of nappy and it actually worked really well on my daughter and I was fine. But... It would have been lovely if I could have tried out all the different cloth nappies without investing first. So this so is an this, opportunity. Yeah, now I have the kit uh, in Tipperary and people can um, go to the cloth nappy library website and they can select Tipperary and get the kit for a month and I'll give it to them. Also, we provide advice on um, cloth nappies and how, mm. you know, people, it's overwhelming at the start. Um, with all the different types so we provide advice and the Cloth Nappy Library the, have sessions advice sessions online and in person. There's a generation of women out there now going oh my god <laughs> I remember it so well the difficulties around looking after the nappies and it was Terry 
Terry yeah, nappies. Terry I wasn't cloth. Yeah, they're very uh, different the now. Yeah, are they very different now? Yeah, well, they? they have an outer layer now. Um, they're very, like, lots of pretty designs and everything. And then Why? you have your inside layer that you can um, to give extra support and extra soakage. Okay, yeah. and, and that's still environmentally friendly, is it? Yeah, well, they're all all of it gets washed. Okay. So you know, there's there's about 150,000 children a day using nappies in Ireland every mm. day. 150,000 children. And we're always getting reports about them being thrown out on roadsides. Yeah, and, it's yeah. one of the largest single consumer items going into the bin. Right. Yeah, and okay. so even if you use one cloth nappy a day, you're saving thirty say, per month. You're saving 30 nappies a month going into a bin. Right. That's a huge. And I, I presume you're saving money as well, are you? And you're saving money. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's the thing. I mean, with my daughter, and I didn't use them for my son. Mm-hmm. I started using them with my daughter. So there's, you know, there's, it's there's ne- it's never too mm. late to Is there try a lot more work though, Louise, isn't there? No, not really. I mean, there's so much work with children anyway. You're always washing anyway. So what's one extra wash? You know, you can, you use, you build up the nappies over two or three days. You put the whole lot in a bag. Um, obviously solids when you have the solids they have to go down the toilet mm. you just put them down the toilet the whole lot then goes into a storage bag and then you just unzip the top of the bag and put the whole lot into the washing machine and do your wash hang them out and um, your nappies are ready again I mean as I said you don't have it's not all or nothing you can use a combination of cloth and disposable which is what I did I had cloth nappies during the day and I used disposables at night and if we went somewhere on a trip for a long weekend or something, I'd often bring my disposables with me and have those for when I was away. But lots of people will use them all the time. You know, mm. that's just mm. the way I did it. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Very interesting. So if people want to get hold of the cloth nappy kit, then again, just to remind people again, Louise, that's yeah, so what the cloth nappy library website. Just mm. go on there, and they have all the different counties in Ireland who have a kit. And you can select your kit and then I'll meet you with the cloth nappies. Very good indeed. And for those who want to donate toys to you as well. Yep, you can drop them into Jenny in the Zero Waste shop in Anglesley Street. It's just beside um, the the bicycle shop behind the Dennis Lacey Hall down from the Junction Coffee Shop. Okay, And you can drop the toys in there. She's open Wednesday to Friday and Saturday mornings and um, she'll collect the donations. We just ask for clean toys, not broken. Um, And we generally cater for age zero to six. We do have a puzzles... uh, selection for people as well so we do actually take puzzles as well for older um, Mm. for adults really we have Mm. loads of puzzles for adults as well Um, but generally our age group is 0 to 6 and kind of 6 to 8 we have a selection of toys as well but we have a lot of toys in the 0 to 6 category Well it sounds fantastic and long may it continue Louise and thanks very much for coming in to us today good to see you Thanks very much for having me friend Uh, That's it for me Uh, Leanne produced Ali looks after our content Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow so look after yourselves won't you Bye bye Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Bye.